Patricia, my darling Patricia I can see all my dreams in your eyes Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no foolin' I'm falling in love with you Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling Patricia, no fooling I'm falling in love with you Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in Hello, everybody. It is Saturday night, June the 18th, year 2016. I am Walton Hughes, and Patricia is making good progress. Uh, she's still in the area that having phone service is not the best to, to do a radio broadcast. So we'll wait another week, but she's been sending updates, and she's getting stronger. Her energy level is coming. And they're really working her hard. So that's all. It's all adjusting to her medication. So we're uh, very grateful for that. And so if you want to drop Patricia an email, she's probably listening. she got her headset and her laptop. And you can drop her an email tonight or throughout the rest of the weekend or anytime, 24 hours a day, to Florida Writer at hotmail.com that's f-l-o-r-i-d-a writer w-r-i-t-e-r at hotmail.com florida writer at hotmail.com f-l-o-r-i-d-a w-r-i-t-e-r at hotmail.com because tomorrow is Friday, Patricia has sent me her notes this week. 
and he wants me to review that with the family. So here we go. She has a quote, a quote she likes to, me to relay. And a father was playing with two boys in the front part of the house. And they would turn up the yard. And the mother says, stop tearing up the grass. And the dad said, we're not tearing up the grass. We're raising two boys. And that was from Harmon Kilbrew. So that, that's a fun thing. Now, Patricia found freebies for Father's Day. And I'm going to go over the list here for you. So, if you're a dad and you want to enjoy some freebies tomorrow, take these notes. Or you got a dad uh, looking for something to do, here are restaurants or food outlets that have free food for Father's Day. Alright, let's go over the list that she sent over. First one is Texas Grill. They're located in Phoenix. And Dad gets a, a dad-sized steak and strawberry shortcake. So you are living in Phoenix, Arizona? That's Texas Grill. Dad-sized steak and strawberry shortcake. Free on the house tomorrow. Alright, let's look over here. Ah, famous yogurt plate, TCBY. Your dad, tomorrow, you can get a small, free, frozen yogurt. Hmm, small size, six ounces. So, that TCBY, small, free, size, you know, small size of frozen yogurt. Alright, the next place. These are all freebies for Dad. And let's see here. Stir Crazy. S-T-I-R-C-R-A-Z-Y. And Dad can eat free. Any chicken or steak. And they're located in the state of Illinois, uh, Ohio, Wisconsin, Florida, Missouri. Still crazy. Any, any free chicken meal or steak meal. And they're based in Illinois, Ohio, Wisconsin, Florida, Missouri. All right. And the winner, as Patricia says on this list, Pluckers Wing Bar, P-L-U-C-K-E-R-S, Plucker Wing Bars. And here's what they're offering to Dad for free. Alright, Dad can enjoy any entree, side, and a free non-alcoholic drink, up to a fifteen dollars in value. Along said, Dad, post a picture of his family at Pluckers Restaurant, and using the hashtag Pluckers, and posting on social me any social media channel. Hmm. Pluckers. 
and they're based in Texas and Louisiana. Okay, let's go over that again. So one of one of the Pluckers is around Dallas or Fort Worth. Okay, Pluckers Wing Bar. And Patricia said not to hit the winner because it's the most unusual. Dad can enjoy any entree, size, or free non-alcoholic drink up to a $15 value. As long as his dad is posting a picture of his family at the restaurant named Pluckers. And using the hashtag Pluckers in any social media channel out there. And they're based in Texas and Louisiana. Alright, so that's Patricia's notes for this week. And we're going to hear Patricia really soon. We're going to feature the two-hour interview. We had a lot of calls with Janet Waldo in 2012. As many of you know, we lost Janet last Sunday. And we're going to feature Patricia's Dynamite interview with Janet. Uh, that will be the next offering. Coming up soon, but let me go over updates. We are going to have the Spurvac Convention January 20th and 21st at the uh, Orleans Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the reason why we're doing it is, is the, it's, a, it's a much bigger cost savings for us than doing the full out convention in LA. It's just prices are really gone up the roof and so we we want to still maintain this and we're doing a riverboat gamble so we're moving it to Las Vegas Nevada Friday January 20th Saturday January 21 and our confirmation of our guests so far we've gotten five so far and we still have another five more invites out there Paul Peterson sent me an email today so he's coming of course, you know him from the son of the Donna Reed TV show. Our friend John Wilder, who's scheduled to be a guest next Friday. John, of course, was Little Beaver and the Red Rider at the Tommy Cook. He was the little boy MC and Abbott Costell. He was Joey in the Jack Benny show. He had he was Craig Board on the Great Ghostweave show. He had 15 running parts. In the late 40s in radio. Successful career. As a producer, director, writer and TV. Street of San Francisco. So John sent me an email. He will be there. He let me know yesterday. My buddy Stuffy Senior. Of course from the Jack Benny show. And the great grocery show. Is planning to be there. Uh, Glory McMillan from Armish Books. Her husband Ron sent an email yesterday. They're looking forward to going. And, of course, our friend Beverly Washburn from the Jack Benny Radio Show will be there. And we got at least another five more invites out there uh, from personalities. So I'm hoping to announce those throughout the week coming here on Yesterday USA. So love to have you support the convention. We want to keep this going. So Friday, January 20th. Saturday, January 21. Okay. Let's say a prayer first before we get to our interview. Dear Lord, thank you for our blessings of having many of us having a dad in our life. Bless this country, Lord. Thank you for Friday this weekend, this past week. 
help our country as we uh, battle evil around the world. Help our friends and allies as they do the same, Lord. Look after our friends in the Middle East and in Europe and around the world. Help the needy, the poor, the hungry. People that might be going through emotional difficulty or financial difficulty at this time. Help those who've lost a, a loved one, like Lucy lost her mother this week of Janet. Lord, we ask you this on bidding thee. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay. What we're going to do first, we're going to feature Patricia's interview with Janet Waddle first. And then we got radio shows that we'll feature throughout the night with Janet. And Larry John might join me at 11 o'clock or so West Coast time if they're up to it. And they got home from a barbershop show. So that is the tentative plan. Ed Coot is scheduled to join us tomorrow, Sunday, on the 19th. As I mentioned, next weekend, John Wilder is scheduled to be with us next Friday, the 24th. And then... W.C. Field Granddaughter, Harriet, will be with us next Sunday the 26th. So those are the attentive plans of what we have, everybody. So with that, let me reach over and get our interview started here on Yesterday USA. And hello, everybody. It is Saturday night, February the 11th, year 2012. I'm Walton Hughes, and Patricia and I will be having a wonderful special guest to kick off the show tonight. The one, the only, the talented, the adorable Janet Waldo will be our special guest. And you're going to be able to talk to her. Phone lines will be open at 714-545-2071. But first, I pray. Dear Lord, thank you for our blessing today of having a good Spurvac meeting. Thank you for our friends, our families, our loved ones. Thank you for having the opportunity of doing your will. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to go get Patricia and Janet on the line. So here's a little bit of the show that Janet's known for. invite you to meet Corliss Archer, starring Janet Waldo. Oh, hello there, Mr. Charvet. Hello, Corliss. You seem on top of the world. Oh, I am, Mr. Charvet, on account of those perfectly divine clothes. Clothes? Mm-hmm. What clothes? My back-to-school wardrobe, of course. Oh. Mom took me shopping yesterday, and we got the most precious thing. There was one little green dress with cap sleeves and all studded with gold nail heads, and a luscious corduroy suit, and a new raspberry sweater, and of course the best thing of all was the soup. Oh, uh, yeah, a uh, soup. Mm-hmm. Well, what on earth is soup doing in the middle of your wardrobe? Oh, Mr. Shabbat, you're so diverting, honestly. It wasn't in the middle of my wardrobe, it was afterwards. After we'd been shopping, I mean. Oh, I see. It was Louise's day out, and Mom had to get Daddy's dinner, and she wanted it to be something he specially likes. And that A wall there, Corliss. Let me guess. Campbell's chicken noodle soup, hmm? Mr. Charbot, you are positively psychic. Yes. Campbell's chicken noodle soup. That soup is so good, it makes a main dish that's simply terrific and ready in a gif. I... 
Oh, my goodness, that poetry. Not only that, Corliss, it's true. There's no main dish that's more tempting or quicker to fix than Campbell's chicken noodle soup. You're so right, Mr. Charlotte. Bye now. This morning, on her way to breakfast, Corliss stops by in the kitchen for a few words with Louise. About time you showed up, young lady. You're late again. Father and mother are halfway through their breakfast. No, Daddy won't mind, Louise. I mean, look at the beautiful flower I picked for his lapel. Uh-huh. Oh, golly, Louise, those hotcakes smell absolutely divine. Uh-huh. Louise, darling, whenever I have to face a crisis, I've always been able to turn to you, haven't I? Listen, young lady, I diapered you, and that tone of voice always means you want to borrow money. But I always pay it back. You're not going to pay it back this time. Well, why do you say that, Louise? Because I'm not going to lend you any, that's why. But, Louise... Listen, Corliss, both your mother and father told me not to... Quiet. I don't want them to hear. Well, I'll bet you don't. But, Louise, you don't understand. It's for the anniversary present. I, I saw something at Benson's that's absolutely out of this world that I want to get him. Only I, I don't have Corliss. time to... My... All right, Angel, I'm coming. Hello, Mom. Good morning, Daddy. Morning. Look at this simply gorgeous flower I picked for you, Daddy. Mm. Now, Corliss, you're late again. Sit down and eat your breakfast. Okay, Mom, but first let me fix it in Daddy's buttonhole. There. Doesn't he look sensational? I mean, golly, I think men with buttonholes look so prosperous. Don't you, Daddy? My child, so far as you are concerned, prosperity is still around the corner, if that's what you're driving at. Oh, Daddy, you're terrible. Just because I see how nice you look, is that any reason to think I'm healing for money? Well, it often has been in the past. Well, don't worry, Daddy. Matter of fact, I do need money in the worst way, but I'm not going to borrow it. I'm going to earn it. You're splendid. Daddy, may I have the classified section of the paper, please? Sure. Help yourself. I'm going to look right now under help wanted, and I'm going to work practically immediately. You know, you better eat your breakfast first, dear. Daddy, listen. Would you let me take this job? Oh, golly, this sounds terrific. What is it? Wanted. Young girl with beautiful feet to demonstrate toenail polish in department store window. <laughs> Excellent pay. Apply Benson's cosmetic department. Too bad, Corliss. Now, if only you had beautiful feet, there'd be a job with a future. But, Daddy, you said yourself my feet were just like Mom's. You know that she's got the most beautiful feet in the world. <laughs> she's got you there, Harry. Oh, no, she hasn't. You do have beautiful feet, Janet. And if you wish to apply for the job, I'll raise no objections. <laughs> Corliss is too young. But, Daddy... Darling, don't be silly. We wouldn't dream of letting you sit in the window of Benson's demonstrating toenail polish. But, Mom, why not? I could wear a black mask or something, and then I bet crowds would gather and wonder who I was. Yes, and Dexter would be in that crowd saying, Holy cow, look at Corliss's feet. <laughs> None of us would ever be able to hold our heads up again. Oh, well, I'll look for other jobs. Oh, golly, Daddy, how about this one? Wanted immediately. Attractive car hop. Good salary and excellent tips. Oh, Daddy, would you let me be a car hop? In a word, no. Corliss, dear, we've been through all this. You are not going to take a job. You've got a great deal of homework to do during vacation to make up for your poor grades, so just forget all about it. But, Mom, you don't realize it is absolutely imperative that I should get a good, steady-paying job. You mean imperative. And how, Daddy? Corliss! 
It's nearly 7.30, and if we're going to play bridge with the Ameses, let's shove off. All right, dear, but Corvus hasn't finished her dessert yet. Why the rush? Oh, it's okay, Mom. Dax, don't keep me company, won't you, Dax? Well, do it, The sooner we get started, Janet, the earlier we can break up. Well, now, Harry, we can't rush away too early. Oh, yes, we can. I have to be up at the crack of dawn, and I want to be in bed at the driveway. Good night, baby. Good night. Good night, Dexter. Good night, Miss Arthur. And, Corvus, don't forget you're not to go to the movies tonight. You go to bed early. Okay, Mom. Good night, darling. Night, Dexter. Good night, Miss Arthur. Oh, now that you're gone, Dexter, I can tell you Oh, I, I think we should not hold the public any further. Oh, oh, that was so real. I almost wanted to say, hey, hi, Sammy. Hi, Irene. <laughs> I love those people. That They were my family. Uh, but, Tricia, you want to introduce our special guest. I would love to, and we're going to talk about that as well. This is kind of a long introduction because our very special guest has a wonderful career to talk about. We've got movies, theater, television, radio in all genres, and I'm looking at heavy drama to ultralight comedy, a voice artist, which is wonderful. You may know her as Corliss Archer from Meet Corliss Archer, which we were just listening to. You were Emmy Lou, the swooning teenager in The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. Am I correct on that one? Yes. Penelope, Penelope Pitstop in Wacky Races. Yes. Josie from Josie and the Pussycats. Right. And Judy Jetson from The Jetsons. We all know her, however, as Janet Waldo. Hello, Janet. Hello. Birthday. Your birthday was February 4th. That's right. You noticed it was very hard for me to keep quiet while you were talking. <laughs> it's always very hard for me to keep quiet. But I, I so loved hearing those voices, and I love that those people, they were my family. You know, Carlos was on and off for t- 10 years. And I so have it- some... I have some dates down here that are, they just blew me away. I did not realize that the uh, life of the show was so extensive. It was. It was. And thanks to F. Hugh Herbert, who created the show, and thank you, Mr. Herbert, had me play Corliss. That was a joy to me, and it really started my radio career, although I had done a few things in radio before that, but that really you know, put me on the landing, <laughs> the takeoff strip. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions in a little bit to talk about that extraordinary range. I mean, it just, I even found your name associated with Adventures in Odyssey, the family show. Can you believe it? Can you believe that? And I, uh, I work with Alan Young. Do you remember him? Yeah, everybody remembers Alan and, Young. And, sure. uh, I'm amazed at the fan following that show has. Uh, it's amazing, but I, I I do it and then I don't do it for a while. I just uh-huh. did one the other day, but sometimes I go a year or two not and doing you have, it. you have a recurring character in that. Yes. Janet, would you give just a little thumbnail sketch about what Adventures in Odyssey is and your role in that show? I would be delighted. I uh, play the part of Joanne, and I have, in the last few years married Alan <laughs> and we are husband and wife in the series and we run an art shop and um, the show is very much like old radio I mean it's you hardly know that you've stepped away from old radio it's just great they use very good people in the cast and it's a joy to do and I'm doing another one I think on the 7th of April oh great now this is a very 
I, I don't know how you can be very family oriented, but the emphasis is really on family quality performances. Very, very much so. The people are very uh, kind and dear and real, and they uh, believe in uh, family strength and family unity, and they, that's what they stress in the show. Where, uh, I, I don't want to miss an opportunity. We'll have you here for breakfast, Janet, but where can people listen to Adventures in Odyssey? Well, you know, that's always been bewildering to me. They're never heard in Los Angeles. I've never heard them here, and in fact, the only times I've heard them is when fans send me copies. I don't so, know where they're heard. They're heard all over the country, but never in, in California. Never in your ears. Well, no. That's my homework. I'll have to find If you find out, let me know. <laughs> and I'll let you know about it. For our listeners, our Saturday night family, and boy, do we have a gang, um, we have a live show tonight. So you are invited to call Janet to say hi, to ask a question, to say thank you for giving us so much fun throughout our lives, 714-545-2071. Did I get that right, Walter? And you got and we have a caller. Hello, caller. You're on, on the air with Janet Waldo. You know, I can hardly wait to say hello to Janet Waldo because <laughs> I want her to know that when she was on Meet Carlos Archer, <clears throat> I was always jealous that I didn't play the part of Dexter. <laughs> you would have been good, too, I know. And I would have been. I would have been. I would have been just as good as Dexter. I could say, oh, holy cow. <laughs> and I, I would have been. And you, you've been my, I was a, you, you were my teenage crush. Oh, I'm, I'm so delighted because I worry that people might not remember radio and Corliss Archer since cartoons have come into being, and I, I'm thrilled that you remember it and liked it. And then, when you were on Ozzy and Harriet and played Emmy Lou, I wish I was Ozzy. But, I mean, every, every, every time you performed, I, I had this sensation, oh, my gosh, I wish I could have been the other... <laughs> oh, that I love doing But since I got you on the phone, I won't take up too much of everybody's time because I know that you're so popular that I wouldn't want to. Oh, well, I'm loving But I would like to play for you something. I'm a, I'm a pianist by profession. Oh. This is Ron from Hawaii, Janet. Oh, is he from Hawaii? Yeah. Oh, my. From Hawaii. And. Oh. and I want you to know that everybody, when I was called to play for a special job tonight, I said I am booked. I cannot leave my um, internet radio because I am got to say hello to Janet Waldo. I'm so honored. <laughs> oh, hang on one second, okay? Here we go. All right, Ron. Here we go. Live from Hawaii. I can at least say that if I didn't meet 
Janet Waldo in person, I got to meet her on the telephone. And so my my um, my day has been made perfect today. Well, that is so sweet, and I enjoyed your piano playing. You're wonderful. And listen, um, we have Odyssey in Hawaii, that program in Hawaii. Uh, we what we get to hear it. Um, I never really listen to it, but it's it's on our our radio station in, in Honolulu. So. Well, I have not been on Odyssey for a while, but they put me back on recently, and I'm just doing a new a new few shows uh, with Alan Young. Remember Alan Young? Well, yeah. Uh huh. Have you ever been to Hawaii? Oh, you brought up my favorite subject. I went to Hawaii on my honeymoon, and I will never forget Hawaii, and I will remember. Do, do I have time, Walden, to you tell You tell the whole story. Well, the story is that Bob and I, my husband, Bob Lee, who was uh, a writer and a brilliant, brilliant man, and but we were very young, and we, he took me to Hawaii on, my, on our wedding uh, anniversary, I mean, on, you know, celebrating our wedding, and we... <laughs> Gentlemen, it was very quiet. We stayed at the Royal Hawaiian Hotel. You know where that is. Yep. And uh, there was a gentleman there who was uh, something to do with a baseball team or something. He owned it, I think. And he he sort of took to us because we were very young and a newly married couple. And he offered us a piece of property in Ohio. <laughs> I mean, in Hawaii, which I I you know, a property, and I said, oh, well, uh, we, that's so sweet of you, but we never will come to Hawaii again. This will be, you know, how, do, how would we ever get to Hawaii again? And I turned it down. <laughs> Is that what I'd call stupid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No, I'm really oh, But he was a very no. nice gentleman, and I've often thought about him and thought, he must have thought, this kid is really... <laughs> and you never been back ever since? Oh, yes. I went back one time. I have two children, and my husband and I took our children back to Hawaii. And um, I have friends in Hawaii, and I love, I love Hawaii. I would love to live in Hawaii. So you're a very lucky guy. That you when do you think you'll ever come back? Oh, anybody invites me, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I might. Never, if you ever come to Hawaii... Now, Walden will let you know how to find me, okay? Well, I would um, love that because, you know, guess what? I don't know too many people in Hawaii. Because <laughs> I will make sure that I, I want, see, Walden and I have something in common. We're both visually impaired. Oh. They're looking at Walden, okay? <laughs> Walden, I got to tell you, you'd never know it with him. I've I've seen him standing up in front of an audience and giving a 30-minute lecture without a note. You know, everybody else reads everything, and he just does it. He's brilliant, and he's a very, very talented guy. Uh, I got, well, I will say this. Uh, he must be brilliant, but, see, he always makes me jealous because he always tells me about all his great conventions that he goes to, and he gets to sit with Janet Waldo and, oh. and McMillan, and I, I'm seeing jumping at the bit because I, I wish I could have been Walden and you could have sat <laughs> yep. next to me at dinner and, and see, but he's smart see, he always he always knows how to ruffle my feathers you know? <laughs> well I think you must be very good friends and I we are but when he when he told me that you were going to be a guest on his show I said I got to make sure 
said, I get to meet you on a telephone so, so that you can feel my charm. <laughs> I got it. I, I, I feel it already. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Like for Hawaii. Anyway, it was so nice talking with you. It, it was you lovely. Made my day. I, I, I've always um, had a crush on Janet Waldo. Oh. <clears throat> That's and now I, I feel that my my life has been complete. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been a great bonus to my life, too. Thank you for calling. My, I always remember my name is Ron. Now, how do you, how do, can you still say that high voice when you, when you got excited? Um, mention my name, okay? My, my name, name is Ron. Nelson. Oh, hi, Mr. Nelson. Have you heard the news? There you go. That close enough? <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Thank you, Ron. Good Bye, Ron. Aloha. Hi. Aloha. All right, there's Ron. And you can join us in the conversation tonight. Janet heard her birthday last week. That's why Ron played Happy Birthday. And you can call in and say hello to the lovely town of Janet Waldo at 714-545-2071. That's 714-545-2071. Thank you, Walden. I transposed the numbers one night, Janet, and some poor soul is probably getting calls at 2 o'clock in the morning now. Oh, oh. oh. You, you just don't do that. <laughs> Janet, do you have any idea how many performances you have done throughout your career? Everything from radio and television to voiceover? Uh, I, I will tell you, I was thinking about it the other day because I've been in the business a long time and radio was my first real love, although I, you all know, I'm sure, that I was brought to California by Bing Crosby. Do you know that? I did. I have that in my notes, and I want well, you to talk I won't, about it. I that. won't talk about it until you do that. <laughs> but I, uh, I was terrified of pic pictures, although I did several. But I was terrified because I and I loved radio. The minute I walked into a radio studio, I thought, "Oh, I'm home." You know, I just love radio and the people in radio and. All of the actors who worked in radio will do anything to perform in radio again because we all just love that period of our, of our lives. Janet, how old were you when you were introduced to a radio studio for the first time? For the first time, mm -hmm. I was about 12, and that's when I was going to school in Seattle, and uh, we, I was always in the drama um, class, you know, and because I've taken drama since the time I was in the first grade, and uh, the studio, KOMO in Seattle, invited our class to come and, and see their radio station, and they showed us the radio station, and then he said, listen, you girls and boys, I have a, a little script here, would you like to audition for it, and I'll give the part to one of you. Well, they gave it to us, and I won it. And my first job in this world was on KOMO in Seattle, and my Social Security still says uh, uh, flower on it. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, you know, from that job, from my first professional job ever was in Seattle at 12. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, what was the role you played? I, well, it was just an audition. It was just a, a little character, actually. It was a it was a character, as I recall, uh, where I was playing a, a fat and forty lady. <laughs> we were always doing characters as kids, and um, and I won it. I don't know why, but I did. And we know. 
But I always loved radio, and then when I came to California and discovered radio and was so blessed by getting to work in so many radio shows, I, um, I felt really at home. <laughs> Tell us about your encounter with Bing Crosby. Well, actually, what happened with Bing Crosby, uh, I, was, I did a lot of little theater in Seattle as a young girl, and uh, I loved, I always loved drama, and uh, in the school, you know, there were performances, and Bing Crosby was going on a talent hunt, uh, and he had talent scouts with him, and they covered the schools, and they chose some people that they wanted to enter a talent contest, and I said, to my sister, oh, I'm not going to go and enter a contest. And she said, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> and I did, and I won it. And then uh, the, the prize was that they would bring me and my mother to California for three months, and I could be under contract to uh, Paramount Pictures for three months. And I got to tell you, I never went home. I never went back to Seattle because I discovered radio very, very early in my time in Hollywood. Wow. Three months. That's a long time. Three months under contract. Well, it was a stock contract. I was very uh, inhibited in pictures because all of the girls were so gorgeous until I discovered that none of them had had any acting experience. <laughs> and that gave me courage. And then uh, they had a, 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 a director on on the lot who was would work with all of us and then I commenced to get parts and pictures little bit parts and pictures with Fred McMurray and uh, uh, you know all of the people at Paramount at that time and gained confidence but I I still found radio much more freeing because you didn't have to worry about the camera <laughs> yeah but um, I enjoyed pictures and in fact uh, I did continue doing some pictures throughout my career. Uh, when I got the invitation to audition for Judy Jetson, I was working on a series with Tony Franciosa called Valentine's Day, a, a, a series in, in film. Mm -hmm. But anyway, back to, to the beginning. <laughs> you asked me, um, what did you ask me, Patricia? I, I asked you exactly what you answered. Tell me about your encounter with Bing Crosby and oh, how well, that got I, you out to California. very important. I want to say that Bing, Bing Crosby was very, very shy, and so was I. And I didn't know how to talk to him, and I didn't know how to, you know, but I, and I wanted to thank him, and it embarrassed him to be thanked. You know, very, very modest man. But he invited me to his radio show that he was doing at that time, and that's when I really fell in love with radio. I thought, oh, they're reading it from a script. You don't have to learn the lines. That's great. <laughs> so, uh, but he was wonderful to me and uh, indulgent of me, and I played bits in, in, that he arranged for me to do, many, many little bits and pictures. How exciting. If I, when I say the name Bing Crosby, what are the first three words or descriptions that come into your head? Uh, well, first of all, I have a picture of him in my bedroom, and on it he has inscribed to Janet the Seattle Flash. Wow. And I, I think of him as being kind and talented and very, very shy. 
and very hard to talk to, especially my being as shy as I was. He, um, he got embarrassed when I thanked him. But I remember on, being on the set with him one time, and he knew that I was pretty nervous, and he said, Janet, hold your hand out, and is it trembling? And I said, yes. And he said, oh, well, listen, it's not so hard to do pictures. Relax. <laughs> but he was very, very sweet to me, but, but not, um, you know, not easy to talk to. Yeah. And uh, a lovely man. And, in fact, can I tell you a little teeny story? Am Please I taking do. too much time? No. You oh, my goodness. Stop no, we're going to have breakfast. But, you know, when I was doing Meet Corliss Archer, I have two stories to tell you about Bing. When I was doing Meet Corliss Archer, we very often would have a guest star on the show, and we had Bob Crosby one time as our guest. Uh-huh. And in those days, we did one show for the East Coast and one show for the West Coast. And when we did it for the East Coast, Bob Crosby forgot, you know, it was all live, it was not taped, Bob Crosby forgot to come back, <laughs> and we were getting closer and closer to airtime, and uh, the director was going crazy, he said, where's Bob Crosby, we're going to go on the air, and they went out in the hall and flagged down Gil Stratton, do you remember Gil Stratton? Sure do. And he came in and played the, the Bob Crosby role, and you know, I don't think the audience knew the difference, <laughs> but then the Bing Crosby story... Um, Let's see, what can I tell about him? Oh, I, I worked with him a lot, and um, he, I did a show with him in San Francisco where Ozzie Nelson knew that I was going to go to uh, San Francisco to work with, with Bing, and he said, listen, um, and I said, Bing wants me to do the squeal on his show, <laughs> and he said, uh, and Ozzie teased me a lot, and I was very young and very gullible, and I said, he said, you can't do the squeal unless you give Ozzie Nelson credit. So I believed him. You know, he was just teasing me. And then I said to Bing, uh, Bing, you know, Ozzie wants me to give him credit for the squeal from his show. And uh, he says, he, he, wa he, wants, he wants what? <laughs> but then at the end of the show, he did give Ozzie Nelson credit. And he uh, also said, and... Um, Dennis Day was here by the courtesy of so-and-so, and, you know, he made a joke of it. He went down the whole line. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Can you do the squeal now? No. <laughs> really? Well, I can, but i, I got to tell you, I have to be revved up. Oh, I know a story I want to tell you about Bing. It was on Ozzie and Harriet. Um, Bing was a guest on Ozzie and Harriet, and... Um, and the boys were, they didn't use their own boys. Ozzie and Harriet used little actors. Right. And I was so excited because I had to come in and say, Ozzie, I mean, Mr. Nelson, Mr. Nelson, do you realize that Bing Crosby is in town? And I had to get all excited and tell him about it. And uh, he didn't believe me. And he hmm. just said, oh, you're just, you know, making it up. But I did the show and it went very, very well. And then David and Ricky Nelson who were about the same age as Bing's children, uh, said, Hey, Pop, Bing's using his kids. Why don't you use us? So from that point on, Ozzie Nelson used his own children, influenced by Bing Crosby. <laughs> I remember hearing that show, Janet. Wasn't it a good show? It was a great show. And I want you to know that you just sounded like young Ricky. I did? Hey, Pop. Yes. Oh, I love those boys, and I love their parents, and I feel 
so close to them even now. Tell me about them as a family, Janet. Well, you see, I loved them as a family. They lived very close to me, and they invited me to parties at their house, and they were wonderful parents. Ozzie and Harriet adored those kids, those boys. And uh, David just died, you know, which broke my heart. Yes. And he was he was very, very down-to-earth and very real. But Ricky got a little messed up because, he, very young, he became a big, big star. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a very sad thing for them. But people used to call me and ask me to contribute to stories about Ozzie and, and Harriet, and they always wanted to know bad stories, which I did not know. And I called Harriet and said do you think I should talk to these people? And she said, no, because they will just distort everything you say. It was a loving family. They adored each other. And um, they just had a tragic life with Ricky's death. And and, uh, it just breaks my heart to even think of it because they were wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah. You're on the air, caller, with Janet Waldo. Here I am. Walden? Yes. Yes. Yes, it's Dan. How are you doing? Hi, Dan from Indiana. You're on with Janet Waldo. Hi, Dan from Indiana. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How about you? Oh, just fine. It's cold here. Ooh. Winter. I wanted to let you know I've been a fan of yours uh, since uh, seeing you as Judy Jetson on the cartoons. And um, I wanted to know if you had played with uh, Frank Cady on Elsie and Harriet. Oh, Frank Cady? Yes. Oh, what did it? What part did he play? I don't quite remember the name. He later played. I thought he played Doc on uh, Ozzie and Harriet. Oh, well. He later went on to play Sam Drucker on Petticoat Junction. Oh, oh, I think you're. Th- I bet you're thinking of Petticoat Junction. Okay. Yes. Um, and Petticoat Junction. I did one Petticoat Junction, but I, I didn't know him very well. Um. And actually, I don't, I don't recall even having met him, but I know he's a, he's a very talented guy, right? Yes, I believe he's still with us in uh, Oregon. And, uh, and you played with B then on Petticoat Junction. Had you played with her in radio? Oh, yeah, many, many times. Do you want to hear a story about B? Oh, absolutely. Uh, do I have time, Walden? You bet. You have all night, Janet. Well, stop me if I'm doing this too much, but I, I was doing a series for my husband, actually, called Young Love. I was doing it with Jimmy Lydon, and um, I was uh, uh, there was a silly thing in the in the script about a, a Western lady played by B. Benaderet, and she had to say, and she had to come and meet the print. We were college students, and she wanted to come and talk to the college professor, and um, she was very brash, and you know, B could do anything, and I mean she's. She was very hillbilly talking, you know, and she'd say, yippee, yippee, you know, and, and uh, so she, he invited her to come to his office, and she went, yippee, yippee, and he, he, he said, don't yippee in my office. <laughs> she, she had Oh, gosh. Um, Patricia? Yes? If you check your email, I sent a link, I believe, to the uh, uh, Adventures in Odyssey. Oh, excellent. Yes. Apparently, you can go on and download those to your computer. Okay, and I will send them out 
to uh, to Janet. Wow. I, I'm so happy to hear that you get Odyssey there and that you love it and, and uh, our listeners. I haven't listened to it yet, but I will now because uh, uh, I also enjoy uh, Alan Young. And uh, now that I know that you're on there, I'll be sure to tune in. Oh, gosh. Well, it's a very family-oriented show, very sweet and very pure <laughs> and just just lovely. All right. Well, you have a good evening now. You too, and thank you so much for calling in, and I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. Well, you have a very good evening. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Bye-bye. And Bye-bye. There's Dan from Indiana, and you can call in and talk to Janet Waldo at 714-545-2071. That's 714-545-2071. We have our very own Corliss Archer here. Just in case you missed it, we're talking with Janet Waldo, who had a birthday recently. Happy birthday, Janet. And thank I'm so you, glad you're spending you. it with us. You are listening to Corliss Archer. And we got another call. Oh, good. Hello there. You're on the air with Janet Waldo. Yeah, hi, Janet. Hi. I'm Michael Spack from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Hi, Michael. Oh, I love Philadelphia because my husband was a playwright, and all of his shows tried out in Philadelphia. All right. (laughs) This is a big theater town. Yeah. We're a live theater, and also a lot of the movie theaters have closed down. The uh, the ones that were used to be in Center City probably where a lot of his plays had uh, had uh, been on. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's there's all the other theaters around now, the multi theaters. But I wanted to tell you just a little incident about the uh, Corliss Archer, and I can remember as a, as a kid. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> in Philadelphia, we had the. And this will show you how vivid the, the memory is, because I always remember we listened to your program, like, as a constant, because I was approximately uh, oh, years, years old at that time. And that was, like, a part of our family theater was to, to listen to your program, because it was, you know, such a, such a great show. It was funny as a, as a child listening to it and uh, your adventures in there. And also, too, but... Uh, I used to remember, first of all, the opening was, was always great because it was, I believe it was electric company. We'd go, uh, go upstairs and the thing would go boom, 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 and then go downstairs, boom, 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 go upstairs, boom, and then downstairs. But it was just a, just a clever opening, which I think led into your program, and uh, uh, that right. brought that I, off. But I remember coming home and going by the Philadelphia Zoo one time when your program was on and just listening to it. And for some reason, it's just a vivid, vivid memory of that. And uh, when I heard that you were going to be on tonight, I said, well, I have to just hang in there. Uh, we used to have your comic books, too. And I, I didn't know, if, did you ever get any royalties on your comic books? No, no, I'm very honored by those comic books, but I had nothing to do with them. Okay. Well, that was all but part I... of growing up during the uh, 40s and 50s. And uh, I just thought that was great. I wanted to say hello also to Patricia. How are you? Hello, Michael. You too, Waldo. How you been? Everything's good. Thank you so much. That's terrific, and it's such a pleasure. And I enjoy you. You keep saying, you know, you have enough time. We're enjoying listening to all your stories because you probably have 101 uh, different stories that you can tell, and they're, they're just very fascinating, especially that. I've been, I was in radio for 40 years working uh, in local Philadelphia radio. Really? But, of course, uh, when I was there, there uh, you know, all the um, old-time radio programs had been off the air. This is all modern uh, you know, uh, programs that I had been on with uh, just doing uh, music. 
but I have been involved with radio, and part of that was growing off with my love of listening to radio as a, as a child and growing There's up. There's nothing like radio, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was like as you had mentioned a couple times, that radio in itself was such a great medium. And I always felt that for myself. Even today, I mean, there, there's such a Wonderful demand for, for all the, the shows. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that they are still around for people to enjoy, I think. Oh, I am and, too. But, you know, the actors that were in radio when I was in radio were very often from the theater. And they were really great actors, you know. They are. And if people would just sit there and listening to the way, and it, 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 I, being in the radio myself as, as just a, uh, you know, a little little minuscule thing. I listen to the actors sometimes, and it's, it's so hard to just grab a, a script and to embellish what you're having to say or, you know, to, to, to act. And a lot, especially I love the uh, the mystery programs, and you hear the actors, you know, getting all, like you were saying, you have to work yourself up in order to get to that role. Well, you know, with them screaming and carrying on or, or being angry or uh, sad or whatever it is, it, it's, it's such a great, it was, it was a really a wonderful thing for them to, to do. You know, what you know, a lot of people made their living on it, and uh, you can hear them also a lot of times, some of the actors being repeated uh, once you get to know their voices, and, and uh, that's part of the uh, interest in getting to know the people. We can hear them ahead of time and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's William Conrad over there. He's oh, yeah. The, well, he, he worked a lot at, at radio. With him a lot. I, uh, like I said, oh, another thing is you were talking about Alan Young. Uh, I always loved Alan Young because at the very beginning of radio uh, TV, he also had a that television program that was sponsored by S.O. Gasoline. So I've always bought S.O. Gasoline. Oh, I'm going to have to tell him that. Even call him right after this call. <laughs> after uh, uh, last night, I went out and bought, I, bought, I filled up my car with gas again, and it was S.O. Gasoline. So I always liked that. But I'm, uh, I'm a member of the Laurel and Hardy fan club here in Philadelphia. And uh, a few years back, we had Alan there, and as you had mentioned, he's such a lovely, lovely individual. And he's my neighbor. And uh, we were so thrilled about all that, because I, I, first of all, I loved his, his television show as we were growing up. Uh, this was when he did his own comedy, uh, not a sitcom, but just a uh, regular comedy program that was in the early 50s. And, uh, but like I said, he was such a, a wonderful and gentle man, and he was there with his, uh, his wife. And I have his autographs on that, too, so it was like nice. But we uh, always like try to uh, bring some people out. So I hope you're going to come to Philadelphia sometime, and I'd love to catch up with you. Well, I have to tell you that my husband tries out his plays in Philadelphia. And do you, are you familiar with Mame and Auntie Mame? Absolutely. Well, he yeah. wrote, he co-wrote those shows. Oh my gosh! And he also co-wrote Inherit the Wind uh, with uh, with his writing partner, and. Uh, all the shows that they've written together, they have tried out in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, it's amazing. Now, they, the, the movie versions were just on, both of them were just on recently on uh, Turner Classic in the last couple of weeks. So uh, I was hoping that maybe you had a chance to uh, to get a chance to see them again or, uh, you know, if the, uh, they're visible for you. But uh, it was amazing that both of them had, had showed up here in the last few weeks. Amazing. So that's very interesting. Well, I'll leave this go. And uh, look, uh, congratulations. And uh, thank you very, very much for all the years that you've given us in, in broadcasting and then also now to your TV work and also your film work. And uh, we appreciate it. And thank you, Patricia. And thank you, Waldo. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, for having such a wonderful and great show. And I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. And there's Mike. Michael from Philadelphia, 714-545-2071. Jenna, you said uh, just a minute ago that you live next door to...
Scrooge McDuck. Uh, Alan Young? Alan Young is Scrooge sure. McDuck, yes. Oh, yeah, and he's a sweetheart, and I, I uh, have worked with him many times. Uh, we did a series called um, uh, Battle of the Planets. Does that uh-huh. ring? And we did 85 of those, and we worked together on, the, on that show. And, wow. Uh, uh, it was, and he's just a lovely person. I enjoy him so much, and we still work together. We're working together in April on uh, uh, the family show. Mm-hmm. He does work for Disney. Have you and he ever done work together at Disney? Mm, well, wait a minute. I, I did one thing at Disney, but I was mostly a Hanna-Barbera girl. And everything that I did, I did about 13 series at uh, Hanna-Barbera. Uh, you know, starting with the Jetsons, uh-huh. and then I did uh, many, many other series there, including Penelope Pitstop on the Perils of Penelope Pitstop, and Josie and the Josie and the Pussycats, uh-huh. and uh, Granny Sweet and Little Old Lady on a Motorbike, and uh, let's see, I did well, I did about thirteen. I had series going there all the time. Oh, one that they never play anymore is Jack and the Beanstalk with Gene Kelly. And I can't figure out why that isn't played a lot. And I think it's because I think his wife doesn't like his things played. <laughs> well, you know, it's true. She doesn't. You notice that you don't get to hear much Gene Kelly anymore. No. And that makes me so sad because it was a cute show, Jack and the Beanstalk, and I played the princess. <laughs> oh, my. Well, we need to start a movement to get that back on. Oh, do try because it's oh. a cute show and... And, you know, another show that isn't shown, and Warner's is trying to get it out there, is uh, Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And the reason that it hasn't been shown is because it had all-star cast, Sammy Davis Jr., Zsa Zsa Gabor, Hedda Hopper, uh, uh, and uh, many, many very famous people on it. And it's a wonderful show, Sammy Davis Jr., and it's musical, and... Uh, it just breaks my heart that it's not out there, but they say it's hard to get the rights. You know, oh. I, I don't know what, what happens. Oh, dear. Isn't but, that sad? You've got such a wonderful piece of artistic work. It is And it sad. has to sit fallow because of the details that are associated with it. How sad. I agree. How sad. Janet, when you were Corliss Archer, we were in the 1940s and then into the 1950s, correct? Yes. It was on for 10 years. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. How close was Corliss Archer to a squealy teenager at that time? Um, Pretty close. (laughs) Uh, Pretty close. Uh, Actually, uh, oh, I have so many. I'm so filled with things to talk to you about. But uh, Corliss was, was... all of my teenagers are different, I like to think, because Judy is totally different from Corliss, in uh-huh. my estimation, and uh, Emmy Lou was different, and I was doing them at the same time, but Emmy Lou was very much more hyper than Corliss, and Corliss was very uh, kind of girly, you know, uh-huh. but um, uh, she was definitely a teenager, and she would get very dramatic when things didn't go her way, and uh she was a delight to play. I loved doing Corliss Archer, and I loved that family so much that it felt like they were all my family. Before we got on the air, you went through, uh, ripped through a, a handful of questions that I had sent out to you, and one of them was about cast members. 
cast what members? creates a good family atmosphere among cast members. It was totally different in radio than it is in cartoons. Uh, because radio, people loved their job, loved doing it so much, and we were all like real family. And if I got an opportunity to do a show, and for any reason I couldn't do it, I would always tell my best friend about it, and, you know, we, we would share. We were very sharing with each other and caring with each other. And it was just, I think it's the reason that I really loved radio the best of all. And uh, also, the thing that was wonderful about radio was the audiences, huge audiences. And they always laughed and clapped, and it was real. Nothing was recorded like it is mm -hmm. now. And that was very sad when they gave that back because that live audience and that live audience reaction was so stimulating and so exciting. And uh, we, were, we were just very... Oh, I have one story to tell you about when I was doing Meet Corliss Archer and Irene Tedrow was my, my mother on it, as you know. And uh -huh. we, were, we faced each other at the microphone in those days. And um, we were doing a little scene together, and she was saying, well, Corliss, you know, and was giving me advice, but she was looking at me so strangely. And uh, I thought, well, what's wrong? And But she didn't, you know, she kept doing her lines. And my, my dad always gave me a rose to put in my hair whenever I performed. And uh, she kept looking at me and looking at me, and I thought, what's, what's, what's happening? But anyway, we, we got off the air, and she took the rose out of my hair, and she said there was a worm in it. <laughs> and she said the worm was, she was watching it, it would just raise its head and look like it was going to kiss my cheek. And she said she knew that if that worm kissed my cheek, I would blow everything up. I would be so startled. And I, I've never forgotten that. <laughs> was toast. Now, your mom's name, the character of your mother, Janet. Was, Janet. was Janet. I never liked that because people would get confused. Uh, well, that was going to be my question. Did you ever get confused when someone called Janet or used Janet's name as part of the script? Did, did it ever No, because I was so coreless. I was so used to being coreless that I, uh, I just figured that there wasn't a Janet except the mother part. <laughs> you just really dug into that role. Isn't that interesting? I was so sure that somebody was going to tell me, oh, sure, Janet Waldo perked up and said yes. <laughs> oh, never, never. Well, of course, well, as you know, we had very carefully written scripts, and we had to follow the script, and uh, that was never indicated in my role. But um, I, always thought that was, I always thought that was quite confusing, and... Um, I wish that that wasn't the case, but Mr. Herbert, who created the series, that's the way he wrote it, and he was not about to change anything. Also, he he insisted, you know, that, that I wear bobby socks and no makeup and looked, you know, very teenage which I was and did, and uh, I was dying to be glamorized and be, I think that's why I wore the rose in my hair. <laughs> but um, he was a wonderful writer and a wonderful man, and I am ever grateful to him for casting me in that. Especially when I auditioned, I uh, was so nervous. I, it was the first series I had ever auditioned for, and I dropped my script all over the floor. Oh, and I thought, oh, well, they'll just never think of me again. And then when I got the part, I couldn't believe it. 
and, and then when Sammy Edwards was asked to play Dexter, he said, they said, do you want to play Meat Corliss? Do you want to be in Meat Corliss Archer? And he thought it had something to do with Archer, with bows and arrows or something. Oh. <laughs> he didn't have any idea what it was about. Uh-huh. But he was brilliant. Sammy Edwards was a wonderful actor. You know, that, that is really interesting about dressing for the part, even though you were on radio, but you were in front of a live audience. Yes. Well, uh, we always tried to be as convincing as we could and I became pregnant late in the run uh, with my daughter uh-huh. <laughs> and I, uh, I played it right you know I just add another petticoat and, <laughs> and then another petticoat I didn't get very big and you know <laughs> but I did I was pregnant so Ozzie Nelson would always introduce me to the audience before the show and he would say, and the little teenager next door is played by Janet Waldo. Well, one night at the show, he said, and, and I was very pregnant, and he said, and the little teenager next door is played by Mrs. Robert E. Lee. <laughs> because it wasn't fashionable to be pregnant if you were a teenager. Of course not. Of course not. <gasps> and I guess eventually people could tell it wasn't a petticoat. Yeah. Oh, well, eventually um, I went to the little jackets, and I remember, do you remember Mary Jane Croft? Yes, of course. She was a wonderful actress, and she played in in the show with us, and uh-huh. I, she played different parts. And when I came out with my little jacket on, she said, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't about to give up the petticoats. I think I, I wore them too late in the pregnancy. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> that is so much fun. How old were you when you finished the role of Corliss Archer? Uh, well, I was, let's see, how old was I? I was in my, let's see, I was 15 when I started. We were 10 years. Well, that add 15 and 10. <laughs> add 15 and and, uh, and 10. And so you were in your middle years. 20s. Yeah, 22, 23. And wow. by the time I did Judy, I was older, and I never mentioned radio to anybody in the cast of the Jetsons because I didn't want them to think I'd been around that long. <laughs> oh, that's good. Never mentioned it, and I only learned many years after we had started the Jetsons that some of the people already knew it. <laughs> but oh, I, I thought nobody remembers radio. <laughs> oh, but we do. Did Dexter have to dress the part? Uh, we, we, you know, he didn't dress crazy, but he, he didn't wear a suit or anything like that. He would wear uh, slacks and a sweater, you know. So very jeans. much, very much. We liked to look as real as we could because uh-huh. the audience was very appreciative. And um, we had a fan club, a huge fan club. And uh, I always wore, as I said, bows in my hair or roses or something. And um, that's the only way we dressed. But um, one time I, uh, I had had a Coca-Cola to drink before the show and left it on the chair. And what they would do in radio, they would introduce you, and you would come out from the wings. They'd say, and the part of, me, of Corliss is played by Janet Waldo. And then I'd come trekking out and sit, you know, the audience would applaud, and I'd sit down. I sat down on the Coke bottle. Oh, my and gosh. And spilled it all over <laughs> But that was an unusual thing. <laughs> you are on air with Janet Waldo. Yes, this is John from Maryland. Oh, hello, John. 
Hi, John. How are you doing? <laughs> Terrific. You've got Janet on the line with you. Marilyn. Oh, gosh. Uh, Marilyn, uh, they're going to do Inherit the Wind someplace over there. I'm not sure. Well, they are probably in Baltimore. Uh, I don't know, but my husband co-wrote that, and uh, so if it's in Maryland, you come to look at it. Either either that or is it Maine? I, I forgot. No, I think it's Maine that they're doing there. Oh. So, um... Well, anyway, anyway, I'd like to call and, and say hello to you. And I was a teenager in the 40s. Wonderful. I And I always enjoyed your show. Oh, well... Did you ever play, did you ever play with uh, Lucille Ball? Yes. Do you ever have you ever seen her TV shows? Oh yeah. Well, have you ever seen the one about Young Loves? It's Young Love. It's called. And Dick Crenna and I played teenagers who were crazy about uh, uh, Lucy and uh, Ricky, and that they you? were trying to get rid of us. So they pretended that they were very very old. It's still played on TV. I love that. Episode. I wouldn't doubt that. <laughs> and and did you oh. see it, Patricia? Uh, these TV shows that, uh, uh, the kids' shows, we had to watch those because we had small children. Huh? And they watched all these shows. And I, and I, my youngest son, he loves, uh, to this day, he's in his, he's going to be 50. My youngest one's going to be 50 years old this year. Oh. And he has quite a comic book collection. And uh, he saved when he was a little kid. And he loved all the cartoon shows. So I had to watch them all. I hope <laughs> In those I... days, we could only afford one television set. So I oh, watched, had to watch them, had to watch them all. So ever... I probably saw every one of the Lucy programs. Well, pardon me, what did you say? I said I probably watched every one of the Lucy programs. You remember that specifically, that one? And, and uh, I... I'm, I'm... If you can make, mention something, maybe I can recall it. Ricky. My memory's, my memory's not that good anymore. But they planned, played, pretended that they were very old, and, and she wore a gray wig, and he came in in a wheelchair, and he, the thing that they did with my character, who was so crazy about him, my teenage character, uh, he, would, he said his knees hurt, and he would ask me to jiggle his knees. And he'd say, keep jiggling, Peggy, keep jiggling. And now fans say to me, keep jiggling, Janet, keep jiggling. <laughs> <laughs> but that show is so popular still, I just can't believe it. Wherever I go, audiences remember it. It's unbelievable. But I'm so glad I, I, that you watched I probably saw it, but I just don't re recall it offhand. I bet your son... I mean, he had to... Richard Crenna, he had one of them teenage voices also. Yeah, and he was my neighbor, and we worked together a lot, and he, um, we did that together. I, I loved working with Dick. Yeah, he, he died young also, huh? Oh, yeah, it's too sad. <laughs> Excuse me. But anyway, I, I enjoyed your program when I was a teenager, and I thought I'd call and say hello. Well, I'm so grateful that you did, and it's nice to hear your voice. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Hope you all. I have. I hope you have a nice evening. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. 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 There's John from Mill, and you can call and talk to the talented, lovely Janet Waldo at seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Janet, I am so delighted you mentioned that I Love Lucy episode, which was so much fun. It's one of my favorite episodes. Well, I you know. I'd a lot of people say that, and I've gone to 
conventions where they, they just go crazy over that show. It was so much fun to, it, it actually put people on the other side where kids would see someone at the age that Lucy and Ricky were at and consider them old people. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it, it was really fun to see it from all different perspectives, but it, it was, your performance was just so cool. It oh, I really love that. A lot of fun. That was the first television show I ever did, and it was yeah. live. It was a live audience. And, uh, uh, and they did it with three different cameras, and uh, and the, the the applause, everything was not, you know, recorded at all. Mm-hmm. And it was really quite an experience to do. And I remember Lucy was was you know she was kind of a taciturn lady. She was yeah. very sweet, but she was very very nice to me. And when, before we got on and they introduced us and everything. Uh, I was backstage and I was looking at the script and mumbling and mumbling, and she said. Too late now, kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Janet, you mentioned three cameras. Did they have three cameras yes, going they did. at the same time? Yes. Simultaneously? Simultaneously. And then they would pick and choose and, you know, cut it the way they wanted it. And very rarely did they have to do pickups. Once in a while, if there was a major goof that somebody made or something with the lighting, they would have to redo it. But I don't remember they were doing anything. They did the show cold in front of a live audience without a without a blurb <laughs> that's amazing i mean when you when you consider and compare it to what happens today in performance studios that's amazing isn't that amazing and uh, actually i did uh, valentine's day with tony franciosa i think i mentioned before and i was totally different because everything was was very scheduled and you know they do several takes of each and it was totally different. But Lucy was very rare, and I'm so excited that it's so well-remembered, the Lucy I, show. I Love Lucy runs for hours on my cable. I'm in Florida, uh-huh. <clears throat> excuse me, in southwest Florida, and we get easily six I Love Lucy shows at night. I mean, they're in the dead of night, but um, it, it's a continuous thing. I, I know that to, the, to this day, I, I love watching the Lucy show, even if I'm not on it. <laughs> I love her work. I think she's so funny and so real, and I just love it. Although, I hate to say it, but I, uh, my husband, we didn't much like the way she did Maine. She, You know, Angela Lansbury did that originally. Uh-huh. And she wasn't quite right for Maine, and she did her own singing, which was a mistake. <laughs> That's a good thing. But she is, as she was, a wonderful performer, and uh, I really enjoyed working with her. Comedy, <clears throat> excuse me, her earliest work in comedy, I think, was her finest. I think so, too. And, you know, I have to tell you, I, I did a radio show with her, actually, or before I did the TV show, and I was playing a little teenager, naturally, and <laughs> I wore... You know, charm bracelets were very in, and I was very new to radio, so I wore a charm bracelet at, on the show. And then uh, Lucy stopped to, rec- you know, we weren't recording, we were just reading through, and she said, Is there a dog in here? Oh, dear. And I knew what she meant, so I took it off. Oh, dear. Uh, of aggressive here. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's terrible. Did that hurt your feelings? Well, I felt ashamed that I didn't realize that it would be picking up 
on the microphone. I was very ashamed. And believe me, I do not wear jewelry now when I do a show. Nothing dangles. Nothing that dangles or sounds. All right. (laughs) Janet, this is a secret now. Yeah? Did you and Bill Christie or Sam Edwards ever have a date? I had dates with Sammy. I loved Sammy. We would, well, we, he was so sweet and he, he was very dear to me, but very young in radio, I met Robert E. Lee, not the Uh general, but the writer. Uh huh. And I fell madly in love with him and he, actually he hired me all the time and so I saw him a lot and once I met Bob Lee, I didn't date anybody. I think I only had one date with Sammy, but he always called me when he came into town. We always had dinner together, and um, I adored him. And and we just had a great relationship, but not uh, not like my husband. <laughs> like your husband. That part I understand. Um, I should have prefaced this. When we were talking about Sammy Edwards, we're talking about Dexter, one of the Dexters. That's right. And I asked, uh, I, I almost called you Corliss. That's okay, I'm used to it. <laughs> I asked Janet if, uh, you know, because there were two guys there, and gosh, they were kind of cute, you know? Oh, yeah, well, they were. And, uh, uh, you know, that Bill, it was Bill Christie, wasn't it? Or what was what was his first name? Bill? First, he was the first Dexter. Uh-huh, Bill Christie. And he died. Did you know oh. that? No. He died, and it was a very sudden and unexpected thing to happen and was devastating. And we thought, well, this show will never go on again, yeah. you know. But they found Sammy Edwards, who was so brilliant as Dexter. And uh, he was just, then he did it the rest of the run. But there... Bill Christie, and I worked with his father a lot on other radio shows. Ken Christie, wasn't it? Uh-huh. And wonderful actor and a wonderful person, and I know how devastated he was when he lost his son. Wow. But um, it was, um, radio was so great, and I think I've said it before, and I continue to say it, the greatest thing about radio were two things, the, the actors who were in it and the audiences who watched it. Those were great audiences. They just would love it. And that, I, mean, I know I'm repeating myself on that. Now, Walden and I and our listeners have talked about that every once in a while over the time, how important a live audience was to so many shows and how unimportant it was to a handful of shows. But the energy that was generated, especially in the comedies, seemed to feed the show. It, it was like your supper. That's right. And, you know, I was actually sad. Uh, Bing Crosby was the one who had everything being taped, you know, put on tape. Mm-hmm. And including canned laughs. And I was sad when that happened because I loved the live experience of getting the audience to talk to you. I mean, they would, would inspire you yeah. how to play it. And I, I miss that. I miss that to this day. You're on the air with Janet Waldo. Hey there, it's Dan again, and I don't mean to top the line, but I bet uh, Janet would have some Gail Gordon stories. Oh, well, I love Gail Gordon, and he, uh, of course, as you know, he was on the Jetsons. You knew that. Yes. And yep. a sweet, wonderful man, but he was the kind of a guy 
who really didn't fool around. I mean, he was very serious uh, about his work, and he didn't like it when the actors would get giggly, and especially the girls. <laughs> really? Uh, no, he was very, very serious. But I, I loved him, and I respected him so much as an actor. Really? Was he a practical joker? Uh, not to me. I didn't know if he was. I don't, I'd never heard that he was. That just came out of the, the air because he, as I listened to him and in performances, like on television, especially with the Lucy series, he always struck me as a practical joker. Well, he always was kind of dry funny, you know. I mean, he would come up with really funny things. He was very funny as that character in the Lucy show uh -huh. and got lots and lots of laughs. He had great timing, which is so important to an actor, as you know. And um, he would just, uh, he was, but I didn't think of him as a practical joker. I, I didn't know him that well. Because well, I only did that, that one show with him with Lucy, and then I did cartoons with him. But uh, uh -huh. I have no way of knowing where that came from in my head. It's just that as, as, well, I had. He, he always struck me as a practical joker. So I, I bet that was because of his character that he was probably so kind of uh, sneaky and you know subtle. Uh huh. Uh huh. That was great. Well, I'm glad you watched the shows in those of days. Of course. <laughs> oh my goodness! I, do you want me to tell you another radio story? Yes. Are you sure? Yeah, you stop me if I'm talking too much, but, uh, you know, it was live radio when I first started doing radio, and as I said, we didn't start recording them until after Bing bought, back, bought tape out, but um, one day I lived very close to the, the uh, NBC studios, and I got a call from NBC, and they said, how fast can you get here? We are doing uh, a Silver Theater. Do you remember Silver Theater? No. You bet. It, yep, it, I do. It was around 1941-42. You bet. Good series. Uh, I think Walden has heard this story, haven't you, Walden? Maybe. <laughs> I'm tactful. Well, you're going to hear it again. But they called me and said, can you get here? How fast can you get here? I had just gotten my first car, and I was very insecure about driving. But I said, well, I think it'll take me about 15 minutes or 10 minutes. I'll go fast, and which I did. And a policeman stopped me. Oh, gee. And I, I said, oh, I have to do a live radio show, and they're expecting me right now, and if I don't get there, they have to go on the air, and I'm playing, you know, the romantic lead, and I have to be there. And the policeman said, oh, well, follow me. And so he took me to the studio, and, I, and he stayed for the show, and, and was sitting in the audience, and then I, I came out and I said, did you like it? He said, I loved it. Here's your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no! Wasn't that awful? <laughs> but I never forgot that. Oh, I hope he's listening. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> oh, what a crummy thing to do. And you, even, and you even let him in the audience. Yeah, because I thought I had, to, uh, I had to be kind to him because he was so helpful. He got me there in time. And I read, I read the script cold. But that was from radio training. You know, we could all do that. You could do that. You and I just, and I hadn't seen it before. I read it. And Harriet Nelson was in the audience, and she said, Janet, you're quite a little actress. I didn't know you could do stuff like that. <laughs> because from Emmy Lou, you know, she heard Emmy Lou. But that's sure. all. Sure. But um, 
it was uh, it was a radio experience. There were lots of things like that that happened. Oh, I have another one. You bet. Go ahead, Janet. Here. Is that okay? Stop me, Walden. You bet. Keep going, Janet. Keep you, going. You just, I'll just keep going until you stop me. All right. But this was one of the big thrills of my life. I worked with Frank Sinatra, whom I adored, and uh, and he was working with uh, a, a guy, oh gosh, what was his name, a music conductor, but anyway. Axel Shortoff. No. No, was an Axel? Okay. No, another one. I can't think of his name. But anyway, I got called to do Teenage Tina on that show. And that was, it was the cutest spot. And uh, I did it two or three times. And where um, I had one line, Frank was very cute with me, and he would play old music that my father supposedly wanted to hear. And then he would ask me questions, and I went into a, uh, he said, how does that song go? And I went into Let Me Call You Sweetheart, and I sang a part of it. And then I, at the end of it, I said, just think, I'm singing on Frankie's show. And he said, I got news for you, kid. It ain't permanent. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience was filled with teenagers because, you know, Frank had a huge teenager following. Sure. And they, they said, oh, and I thought that was wonderful that they were devastated. <laughs> Oh, my but gosh. the story that I want to tell about that is that I never, you know, in those days we didn't get copies of anything. Yeah. And a fan, bless their hearts, how I do love fans, sent me a copy of it. And I have it. And it's really cute. And I'm, I treasure it. But I very often will get something from fans that I have never heard, that I've done. Isn't that sweet? It's wonderful. It's wonderful, and that pops up every once in a while. Someone will say that, and it's just such a wonderful gift when someone recognizes the value. I have um, I I love cartoon fans. I love theater fans and and film fans, but there's nothing like radio fans. They I are so dear. And can I tell you another radio story? You bet. Well, you know, another great thrill for someone young like me and new in the business. Um, I got to work with so many big, big stars. And, of course, watching them, you learn so much. But I did one show with with uh, Vivian Lee and um, her husband. So, so Lawrence Olivier. Sir Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. And um, she was playing a rather dramatic scene, and he stopped her and he said, uh, Darling, uh, why don't you re read it this way? <laughs> and she looked at him very sweetly, and she said, It's my line, dear. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I worked with Clark it. Gable one time. And, you know, we all did radio all the time, so we thought it was like, like a, you know, just a daily, daily routine. Uh -huh. And so um, uh, I worked with Clark Gable, and I had seen him, you know, in Gone with the Wind, and I thought he was the most brilliant actor and everything. But I was watching him at the microphone, and his pat legs were just trembling. He was scared. He was totally scared of radio. Oh, my. And, and I thought, the great Rhett Butler is scared of radio. And, you know, there were a lot of people who were afraid of radio. Uh, big stars. Because it was live. It was in front of a live audience, and they were so used to the camera and, you know, doing a take two, three, four, mm -hmm. ten, whatever. 
Yeah, they. I guess it sounds like they felt they had an awful lot at risk in front of a live microphone. Yeah, but now I, you know, I'll keep on telling you stories, but I better not. Well, I bet you, I hope you will. <laughs> but you tell me some stories now. <laughs> Thank you, Dan, for uh, calling in. Yeah, take care. Talk to you later. Oh, excuse me. That's okay. Oh, he asked the question. I'm so sorry. No. He called and got a question in. Let's open the line. I'm so sorry. No, it's good. It's good. I thought he'd gone off. Oh, please. No, no, no. No, he he, he, he just wanted to ask that one question, and he did. Good. Oh, they're calling in, Janet. Here we go. Hello there. You're on the air with Janet Waldo. Uh, Hello, Janet. This is Ray from Chicago. Ray, you know what's exciting? All the people who call are guys. I know. <laughs> well, we love, I love you it. then, and we love you now. <laughs> Janet, I, I have a question for you. Huh? Uh, I am curious. You say you, you're working on Odyssey now. Huh? And um, did you know, I mean, did you ever work with Hal Smith? Oh, I loved Hal. I worked with him all the time. In fact, he was the one who got me on the Odyssey show. Is that right? So you knew he passed away. Um... Oh, it was so sad. I and you know they've never been able to find anyone who had the, who has the quality that he had. They they've tried a couple of other people, and haven't found success. They they're not happy like they were with Hal. What a wonderful actor. And, you know, I worked with him on many things. I even did a, a singing record with him. Oh, for goodness sakes. Now, most people didn't know, <laughs> I certainly didn't, that he was um, Otis on the um, Andy Griffith show. Yes, he was. And uh, they were always trying to... Uh, actually, he could have had his own series with that character. He was wonderful. Yeah, and uh, I I like that program and Otis so much. My daughter actually brought me a picture of uh, for my birthday some years ago with Otis on a steer with uh, Andy and uh, and Don Knox. <laughs> really? Yeah, I still have that picture. As a matter of fact, funny. That's... And uh, I. <laughs> I really enjoyed that program. I used to listen to it with one of my grandchildren, and old John Avery Witt, and Patricia, if you ever had a chance to listen to that, that is radio like the old days. Oh, I love radio like the old days. I'll listen to anything, <laughs> because there was nothing like it. It was so great. Well, now, how often are you on Odyssey? I haven't listened to it in a year or two. Well, you know, I haven't been on for about a year or a little longer, and I was totally shocked because I got a call, oh, just a few weeks ago that they wanted to bring me back. Alan hasn't been very well, Alan Young, and I, he's uh, actually he's having trouble walking. I'm sad to say. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. He's, he's also lives pretty close to me, and I talk to him frequently, but he's fine. He sounds great, but uh, they didn't want to pressure him, you know. To yeah, yeah. But other... Well, um, uh, I, I, I just wanted to call in and mention Hal's name because I enjoyed him so much, not only, uh, oh, what a... uh, you know, on, the, um, on TV as Otis, 
but even more is John Avery Witt in Odyssey, you know. I, I really, he was that was a phenomenal show, not only for kids, but for adults, too. He was wonderful. Oh, it is a great show. Now, I wanted to ask you something else, too, Janet. Did you ever walk, uh, work with Shirley Mitchell, another... I'm all the time. In fact, I did a show called Young Love with Jimmy Lydon, and it was about a young couple who were uh, secretly married. They were going to college, and if the college knew that they were secretly married, they would not be allowed to go, because it was in those days it wasn't, you couldn't yet be married and go to college. And Shirley Mitchell was playing the part of Molly Bell Oglethorpe. And she'd say, oh, you are absolutely sensational. She would do, you know, the little old Southern stuff. And we worked together on that. We worked together on many shows. And we still go up to Seattle frequently to work with the Walden, <laughs> with the uh, Seattle group. And um, she's, she's, I think she's been feeling not great lately, but, but she's still working and, and okay. So that's what counts. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. I used to really enjoy her role on uh, The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah, you know that whenever she's on, and if she does that role, the audience just goes wild. Yeah, I really What she does is long I'm, I'm, By the way, I'm a fan of the Carlos Archer days, so, you know, and your name is mentioned all over the place when I'm listening to old-time radio, so it's a real, real pleasure to be able to speak so, to you. When you realize that I got into radio quickly and picked up and got going on radio, and, and I was so fortunate because it was such a short life time for radio, you know? It was, I was on it for 10 years, but that was it. Yeah, that's a shame. You know, Shirley, uh, I, uh, I, Janet, I, I have to tell you, I, I don't, in my wildest imagination, I cannot even comprehend why they took off um, uh, these, these wonderful programs off the radio. The radio is still popular. They have talk shows and they have this and they, you know, music, et cetera, et cetera. But why not uh, the dramas and the comedies and all of those? I, I, I can't even fathom why they took it off. I just don't understand it. It's disappointing. It's so disappointing because I agree with you. But, you know, it's a whole different class of actors now because most of TV uh, is cartoons now. I mean, the kind that, like, Corliss Archer and uh, um, the cartoon people aren't as acclimated to to acting as you know they do voices. But um, I don't mean to put them down because there's some wonderful performers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I agree with you. I love the storyline, and I loved uh, and you know all of the laughs in radio were live. They they didn't add any laughter. And now they put the laughs in, they put the applause in, they put, put audience reaction in, and it disappoints me because it isn't real. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's why I spend so much time listening to uh, Yesterday USA and, uh, and other similar programs. Uh, Walden and, Pat and Patricia do an outstanding job on they this wonder program. And, I um I can't wait till I get home on Saturday nights just to listen to them. Well, they make so it's a it's an 
extra special privilege to be able to talk to you, and I, I, um, I'm, I'm a fan. I'll continue to be a fan. By the by, do you have a web page at all? Yeah, I, I have a fan page. I have a web page, and I have. Um, I'm all over the computer. He has a Facebook. Ah, so you well, I guess Facebook. I have. I I started out with a fan page, and then somebody put me on the. Um, what is the other one? Um, oh gosh, well I think Facebook. I don't know. The, I have Facebook. Yep, yep, yep. I'm on it, and I put. I have lots of pictures on there from all of the different shows I've done, and um, I love it. I love. It. That's one thing. But you know that we can thank the Jetsons for the computer. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> because the Jetsons were the first ones to have a computer. Yeah. I, I recall that now that you mention it. I, uh, I'm always so Janet, you're a delight. Uh, you know, you you have fans who are lifelong fans, and I'm one of them. I love them, and I love you, and I'm so grateful that you called, and I enjoyed talking to you. All right. Good night now. Good night, uh, Walden and Patricia. Good night, Ray. Yeah, I'll be listening. Sounds Thanks. Bye-bye. There's Ray from Chicago, 714-545-2071. You can call and talk to the wonderful Janet Waldo now if you like to. Go ahead, Patricia. Janet, I have a question about the transition of the show from radio to television. Now, if I read my information correctly, there was an overlap so that the radio show was continuing which radio well, show are you talking about, though? Uh, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Corliss Archer. Oh, Corliss Archer, yeah. Okay. Meet Corliss Archer. Shame on me. Um, <laughs> well, we've talked about so many different things. I, I know. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Shame From on radio me. to television. Uh, it didn't work on television. Uh, it was only on a very short while. Is that oh, what, what was your question, though? <laughs> you just answered it. Um, well, I you know what happened. They wanted... They, this will amuse you, and I think it will amuse Walden... They wanted me to do it, and of course I wanted to do it. And uh, my agent then said, "No, you're not going to do teenagers anymore." <laughs> and I'm still doing teenagers. <laughs> I don't show him. My question actually related to your taking a role or not taking a role on the television show, and I looked at it from an entirely different perspective from the actress and teenager, I was looking at this, that you had created an image with your voice on radio. Every person who heard you had a different picture in his head or her head uh -huh. about what you looked like. Yeah. And suddenly there was a Corliss Archer on television and robbed you. <laughs> well, and not only that, there was a movie, and Shirley Temple played it in the movie. Uh, Did you remember I, that? No. And it was I, terrible. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to say that, but, you know, it was just, maybe it was just the script. But um, I, my agent, it was so amusing to me that, that he said, I don't want you to do teenagers anymore because now you're an actress, you're going to do big things, and I'm still doing teenagers. And you're still doing teenagers. Um, Janet, when that happened, when someone else's face appeared with the character of Corliss Archer, did you feel robbed in any way or that you had surrendered part of your identity or part of a character that you helped create? I did. I feel, you know, I think that's a natural thing for an actor to feel when you've created a character. You feel a certain, you know, uh, it's 
special feeling for that character. Sure. And I, I felt sad. I felt sad about it. But I was kind of glad it wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> I love honesty, Jen. <laughs> I'm glad. That's a really human response. I love it. I love it. Did one medium affect the other? You were doing radio. It was on television and it bombed. You've got a movie coming out and it was not good. How did all of that play together? Well, I don't think the movie came out while we were still on the air. Thankfully. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think it affected us one way or the other, uh, except for all of us who went to see it and thought, oh, no. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I, uh, I don't recall having any feeling except sad that it wasn't better. Yeah. But in a way, not sad. <laughs> yeah. Did, you, know, you had a, a mystique, uh, for lack of a better word. There was, a, there was a mystique about all of the actors on radio that, I mean, the image that I have in my head, for example, we talk about Fibber McGee and Molly a lot on our show on Saturday nights. The Fibber in my head is different from the Fibber in your head, is different from the Fibber in somebody else's head. And the same happened with Corliss Archer and all of the other, act, all of the other characters you created. But now we've got an image on television, and it blew it. And well... You know that I think that happened a lot with a lot of radio shows uh, because it just it, it didn't continue the feeling that the audience had because it was different and so they they wanted the original you know they uh -huh. really did so it did intrude uh huh uh. it did really but um, but there was no and radio you know was a very short short lived time uh, it was it wasn't on forever radio went down very suddenly, don't you yeah. think? I, indeed it did. And it's amazing how many treasures there were within that short time frame and how many have survived, my goodness. You know, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands here. Aren't you amazed that the people who still love radio still listen to old radio shows? Look, look, I just think it's so great that they do. I mean, again, I thank the fans because they really respect and appreciate Radio. It's where the quality is, Janet. Uh-huh. It is. And uh, uh, there was some wonderful radio going on. I worked with um, Eddie Robinson, which was one of the first radio shows I did. And what an actor he was. And uh, I learned so much. People in radio were good actors. And if you were a newcomer, they were helpful. They would, they would give you hints. They would give you direction. They would say... You know, with, uh, he was he was just wonderfully helpful to all of the new young actors that were coming in and on on his show, and uh, that doesn't happen anymore. Do you know that in cartoons now, when I was doing the Jetsons, we worked together as a group at, for most of the series, mm -hmm. and then they split it up. And now they do one person at a time, which I think is so sad because you don't get that family feeling. You don't get the rapport that you have by working together. And I, I really miss not working as a group. And we did in radio. We, we directly related to each other in the, in the radio shows. It's We'd, so puzzling 
when you're telling me about the cartoon work and the voiceover work, that each person has a script. That person performs the script, and then the next one comes in, metaphorically, the next one comes in and does a script, and somehow they're all supposed to blend? Yes, and it's very disconcerting. I did a commercial for Judy Jepson, and I was so excited about it. This was a couple of years ago, uh -huh. and I was looking forward to I was going to be working with Elroy. And, of course, Dawes Butler was Elroy, but I was going to be working with a new Elroy, and I was very excited about meeting him and seeing how he was and if he was close to Dawes, Dawes' voice. And I went in. I was alone in the studio. I finished. He came in and did his part, and we both were crushed that we didn't get to work together. Oh, how sad. And I think they do it because it's easier to, be, to edit, and Walden would understand about that. Yeah. Well, I do understand that part, but it seems to me that, and what do I know, I'm on the outside, but it seems to me they're surrendering magic for the sake of ease on the non-performing part. Right. How sad. I, 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 it's very sad, and the direction is not the same. We used to get, Joe Barbera was a wonderful director, and the first series, he would take the first few series, which were the best of the whole lot of the Jetsons, he would take six hours to do it. Wow. And he would, uh, when there was a new part, he would audition around the table, and he would say, no, 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 that's not right. What else have you got? What else have you got? You know? And now, whatever you come up with goes, they print it, and it's mm -hmm. in. And it's, uh, it's not as careful as it used to be. I miss that. How much time in the half-hour show of the Jetsons, how much actual performance time was within that 30 minutes? Uh, well, actually, uh, the performance time varied. With Joe Barbera, it was a long time, but now uh, it's just, uh, it, takes, it takes about an hour to do a half-hour show, mm -hmm. an hour and 15 or 20 minutes. Very, very fast. Wow. And they just go blah, 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 really fast. <laughs> Are you excited to be with Walden and me? Oh, I'm so excited. Well, you know, of course, I adore, I adore Walden, and now I adore you. Well, thank you. That was a loaded question, Janet. Are, are <laughs> By you the way, can I tell you, you? You're very you? good. Oh, thank no you. wonder are Walden you is so fond of you. You bet. Oh, oh bless his heart. <laughs> we call him lovable. He truly is. And you know that you are very good at questions. I do so many phone, uh, you know, talks. And uh, I just find that uh, it's very good when you get a good interviewer. Well, it's a lot of fun when you've got somebody fun to talk with. My goodness. <laughs> well, you, you sound like you're a very fun person. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just having a good time here. Janet, that was, that was my loaded question. I asked you if you're really excited about being with us. Have you worked up enough to give us a squeal? <gasps> well, you know what? I didn't have any sleep last night, and I'm not in a squealing mood. But call me back in a, <laughs> uh, tomorrow, and I'll, I'll do a squeal for you. Well, but I will mean, do them, uh, but you know, people don't understand. A squeal is not just a squeal. No, it's not. You have to rev up to it. You have to. And Ozzy would do that for me. He would say, uh, Emmy Lou, uh, I, uh, how do you like my new beard? You know? And then he'd say, you know, and she'd say, oh, it's wonderful. And he'd say, would you like to touch it? And she'd say, yes. 
See? There you go. You did it. <laughs> but you have to you have to be revved up. Well, I mean, that was wonderful. Thank you for doing that. And I understand what you're telling me, that it's not simply a, a piece of script. It really does come from the inside. It does. I, I'm an old-fashioned actor, and I, it has to come from the inside for me. I have talked to classes, and they said, what part of your voice do you use, and how do you choose how to play a young role, uh, you know, a kid. I played little boys, little girls, very young. And my first job ever in this life was as a doll at three years old. <laughs> but, you know, I don't say, oh, I will place it in the back of my throat or in my nose or up there. I just think like the character. I mm -hmm. think like that person. And it happens. And I, I most actors do it all mechanically now. I'm not meaning to put them down because they're great. But for me, that isn't such, that doesn't work so well. When, now, this, this is unusual. Not everybody performs with that approach or that frame of mind. But that suggests to me that when you're finished with the performance, you might have a little bit of trouble hanging up the character and going back to being yourself instantly. Uh, you're right. That does happen. And, you know, uh, I remember I had a big discussion with my husband who hired me before we were married. No, the first thing, he hired me a lot before we were married, but right after we were married, we'd only been married about uh, three days, and I did a show for him. Oh, my. And he was a director, and he pressed the button and said, Jan, you're sounding to, like Carlos Archer. I was so angry because I, I thought, I'm I wasn't, I wasn't, I was playing the part. And there was a wonderful old actor by the name of Norman Field. I bet you Dawes might remember him. And he said, he called me aside and he said, Janet, you want to break up your marriage? And I said, no. And he said, look, he's the director, you're the actor, you take his direction. But I was so angry that he would dare to say that I was sounding like Corliss Archer. But I stopped sounding like Corliss Archer, and it was one of the best jobs I ever did. Really? You're on the phone with Janet Waldo. Hello there. Hello. Hello. Maybe we just lost the caller. That's okay. Well, maybe they... Oh, dear. I'm what? No, 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 no. no. They, might, they might call the dog a wrong number and try to order pizza. But that's okay. 714-545-2071. I call you calling back. You're on the air with Janet Waldo. Hello, oh, this is Chad. Hi, Chad. Chad. Oh, how great. I have... Guys only, I love it. <laughs> I know. Caring. <laughs> this is great for you and me, Patricia. I know. <laughs> well, I hate to interrupt Patricia because I know she's getting on a roll, but I do have a few questions I'd like to ask if, that, if that's okay. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm talking to two teen teenagers here. You both have such young voices. Well, thank oh. you. <laughs> thank that's you. That's very too. important. <laughs> Now, before you were talking about, I think you mentioned that Ozzy Nelson was in the audience of one of your shows that you did. I was wondering, do, did radio actors do that a lot? Would they attend other shows and of other radio shows that were taking place? Sure. Ozzy didn't do it very much. I'm trying to think of what show it was that uh, he was in the audience for because he was very aware that he was Ozzy Nelson. And, you know, you get he gets so surrounded by fans that that he didn't like to do that. And um, the boys were 
totally swarmed. Ricky and, and David were totally swarmed by fans. So fans. So they didn't do that very much. But um, I love to go to radio shows. <laughs> and I, uh, but, you know, there aren't any anymore. You know that. Breaks my heart. Sob, sob. Are you there? Hey, you mentioned, you mentioned that your agent didn't want you to do any more teenage roles. Did you feel that you were typecast, and did that worry you any? Didn't worry me. It just worried my agent. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing teenagers. I, well, as you know, I still do them. I still do them uh, on radio. Uh, have you ever listened to a show called CART? California Arts? Uh, no, I haven't. It's California Arts Radio Theater. Peggy Weber creates it, and she calls me frequently, but it's always for a teenager. <laughs> and I think, okay, I'll do it as long as they want me. <laughs> but I, I love doing teenagers. I also love doing dramatic roles, and I do that often, too. And uh, I don't know if you... Go ahead. Um... You haven't. You didn't mention Young Love very much. Um, I know you were just newly married when you did that. Um, it, was that the reason why they picked you? Well, for Young Love. Yes. Well, I'll tell you a little secret about that. Young Love was written by my very new husband and his writing partner Jerry Lawrence. It was Lawrence and Lee, and they uh -huh. they hired me to do that, but. But I think I had an in because I was his wife. <laughs> but, you know, I also did Railroad Hour. Do you remember Railroad Hour? Sure. And mm -hmm. did, uh, in the name, some I did Lux Radio Theater. I did all of the radio shows. Favorite story, which was one that—that's how I met my husband. He hired me on that, and then he kept hiring me again and again and again. And then he finally said, "Hey, would you like to go out for dinner?" <laughs> But but he uh, uh, that that was we all did very much radio. We loved it. Now, I read something on the internet that said that you're related to Ralph Waldo Emerson. Is that true? Yes, very distantly, but true. But you don't usually believe everything you see on the internet, right? <laughs> Because yeah. they've got some really bad things on the interview. There was another Janet Waldo, I don't know if you know that, who was a lot older than I am. <laughs> they credit me with her age on occasion, which makes me very upset. But um, uh, there, uh, I also did, oh, I don't dare tell you, uh, a show that I did because I did a lot of looping at Universal Pictures, and I... Uh, looped in the stars like Barbara Streisand or uh, Sally Field and different ones like that. And um, I would, they would say bad words, you know, dirty words, wrong words, swear words, on, on, and then they would have to clean it up for the airplane fr flights. And uh, so I, I did a lot of those voices, but I did one voice on the Blues Brothers. Do you... Uh, Aretha Franklin, do you remember her? Oh, sure. Uh -huh. Aretha Franklin. And oh, I can't can. repeat to you what she said, <laughs> but I repeated. I went to Comic-Con in San Diego, and I repeated it on a panel that I was doing a discussion on a panel. And I said I did, I did replace the bad word with a good word. And the bad word 
shall I tell him? Sure. sure. Go ahead. Why not? Why not? Uh, uh, well, the, uh, well, she said, oh, I don't hate you. Pro- Go, my Sorry, daughter Janet. just came in. She said, you, say the word. Uh, well, if you want to just give the initials, Janet, we can try to figure it out. Well, it begins with S. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank there you go. That's a good way to do I, it. And I changed it to, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? They Somebody copied that and put it on YouTube, and it played. Uh, they played a lot of the characters that I do, and then at the end of it, they quoted the bad S word. Instead oh. of saying, oh, shoot. They used the wrong word. The other one. I was overwhelmed. I said, I can't, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I don't want people to think that I said that. But it was on on the computer. I think it still is. (laughs) Isn't that too bad? Yes. That's a heartbreaker. But I was was very sad about that and very mad because I said, how dare they do that? Boy, you didn't even get the joy of saying it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're cute, Patricia. But anyway, oh, you guys, it's fun talking to you. But have we have we finished our callers? Any more well, questions, Chad? I do have a couple little things. I, I must let you know, I actually did grow up listening to you on the radio, although that may make me sound older, but I grew up listening to Adventures in Odyssey, and that, that's my favorite show, and that's I think that's really what got me interested in old-time radio. Honest? And I prob- I probably heard you, but I didn't know of you at the time, but I later out. I found out about you, and uh, then I remembered you you were in there. But I was wondering... Yeah, go ahead. I was wondering, how, how, how do they do that? Um, could you walk us through how the production works? Do you get the script ahead of time? Do you get to work with the actors, or are you in a separate yeah. booth, or how does that work? Well, I'll, I'll go right from the beginning. You, they call your agent. I have an agent. Of course, everybody does. And they say, uh, is Janet available on such and such a date? And he looks it up or calls me, and, and he says, yes, okay, she is. He said, we want to have her record from two, from 12 noon till 4. We're going to do two episodes of Focus on the Family. And then I either accept it or I say, oh, I can't do it that date, and then they will very often change the date. But they call, they call me way ahead. I'm doing one in April, and they called me way ahead and said, I just did one a couple of weeks ago. But my character hasn't been in very much for the last several years because um, I don't know exactly why. <laughs> but they haven't been able to write the character. Uh, once she, uh, Alan Young was my husband, and we got married. And once the, we got married, they didn't know how to write for us. You know, that, <laughs> what else was there to say? <laughs> so, but now they've discovered something new that they're going to do, and so they're bringing us back. But uh, it's a lovely show. The people are lovely. The actors are wonderful, very professional. They work it. They do work in a little studio in um, Van Nuys, and they. I get the call. I go to the studio, and um, they put us at the microphone, and we do run-throughs of the of the dialogue, and then um, the director gives us comments and direction. And then we do it another time, and then we and then we record it, just right straight through. And then they do pickups if something goes wrong, and then uh, it's it's really it's really fun. Well, it's just like radio. <laughs> I that that is fun to do because it is exactly like radio. 
whereby some of the shows that they do now on TV are done, as I explained earlier, with just um, a microphone and one actor. But this way I get to work with the other actors, which is the most fun. How many people... Well, I, I, think that, I think that's great that you get to do that because, yeah, I've heard lots of stories how people are alone and they don't really get to play off the other actors. And it's, it's nice to hear that they are still making radio dramas where the actors actually are in the same room. I am so grateful. Actually, that's the fun of doing that show because the actors are in the same room. And most of the other shows, well, of course, I do many cartoon shows, and you never get to work with the other actors. And it's, it's so disappointing. It's, it's, I think it's a mistake because I don't think you get the same quality in the, in the show as you do when you have the actors reacting to each other. But I'm that you let, listen. I'll have to tell them in April when I go over there. I'm going to say I talked with a big fan and focus on the family. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so how are today's radio actors? Are they as good or just about as good as the ones from the '40s? Are they are there some um, good radio actors around? Well, I without seeming to feel prejudiced, um, most of the actors in the early days of radio were from the theater, uh, and they were. Okay. Brilliant actors. I mean, they had done Shakespeare. They had done, and they were brilliant actors. Now the actors are more just voice people, and not meaning to say they aren't wonderful, but um, the old-fashioned actors are are the best trained. There's not a lot of training for radio actors now, and in the old old days, they could come right from theater into radio, and that's why they were so good. But uh, they're very good, and you know what's very good in today's group is that there's so many mimics. There's so many actors who can do so many other different voices, especially in cartoons. And then when it comes, but the only thing that I notice is when it comes down to acting a straight role, they have a little difficulty because they're not uh -huh. imitating somebody else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, so, but, so but they're very good. The actors are very good, but they don't come from the theater like they used to. Huh. So do you get the scripts ahead of time for, like, the shows you're going to be reporting in April? And can you tell us what's going to be in the shows, or are you sworn to secrecy? Alan Young is supposed to be on with me, and I have no idea what the script is about, and we don't see it until we go into the studio. Really? And it's scary, too, because you think, gee, what do I have to do? I, you can't wait <laughs> to read it and see, because you don't have a lot of rehearsal time in, uh, in radio today. What is the benefit of not having a lot of rehearsal time? It's fresher. They come up and the writers have to the last minute, you know, to correct and, and revise. And uh, they feel that it's more spontaneous. I wish they would send the scripts out ahead. I wish they would have a rehearsal a day ahead or something, but they never do that. It's right the day of the recording. It's, it's harder. To make it interesting and to make it have yeah. definition and depth. It, it sure sounds like it would rattle my cage. <laughs> it does mine, too, if you want to Because <laughs> I, like, I like to think about it. And, you know, the wonderful thing about Joe Barbera, they'd give us the scripts ahead and a storyboard. We could look at the storyboard, and they always had the actors in a little early, and we'd go around mumbling our pe character, you know, trying to get a new idea or something and just going blah, 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 work, 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 work. And we had time to do that.
before yeah. they started uh, rehearsing. And then he came in with his suggestions, which were always brilliant, such as, what else have you got? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you could add a whole lot of texture to yes, the show that exactly. way. Exactly. But is it, does that answer your question? Well, it answered... Yes, um, did it answer your um, head? Yes, yes, it, it, very thoroughly. Um, I was wondering, uh, Walden was playing a bit of a cordless show earlier where you uh, you were talking to a baby. Was it? I've heard stories that there's just one guy who would play all the babies on the network. Uh, oh, I... How you did the baby? I him up. Jerry Hausner, wonderful actor, and he could do many things, but he did the best baby cries that you've ever heard. And he, the baby had personality and funny. <coughs> Excuse me, I had to cough. And um, Jerry was did all the babies in radio. But one time, he was working for Hal Cantor, and he couldn't do the baby cry. And Hal Cantor said, Janet, can you do a baby cry? Well, I couldn't do a baby cry. But guess what? I got rooked into it. And I did it, but I didn't compare it with Jerry's. <laughs> He would get laughs. He'd do, you know, he'd do lots of things like that. And and I, I to this day, have old tapes of his, which I listened to to try to, to get the quality. But that was the only time I ever did a baby cry. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was listening to that, and I was just amazed. It was so realistic. Now, I also read on the Internet, and I know you can't really believe everything on the Internet, but... Your sister is a famous violinist or yes. violinist so musician? Yes, I said that on the Internet. She is Elizabeth Waldo, and she was a discovery of, um, oh, my gosh. Well, Zimblist gave her free violin lessons, and she went on a world tour with a youth orchestra. Uh, Lucy, what's the name of the youth orchestra, the director of the youth orchestra that Elizabeth went on? I'm trying, I can't think of the artist's name. And he, um, she went all around the world with, with a youth orchestra. And she's a brilliant violinist, and to this day, she has a concert every month. Stokowski. Oh. It was a discovery of Stokowski. Wow. 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 She, Does she have any recordings out that we can oh, buy? Yeah. Oh, as a matter of fact... Uh, my daughter just walked in. Lucy, bring me one of, Luce, of Elizabeth's recordings so I can give him the names. Uh, you would enjoy her, I think. She's really a good violinist. The only thing that I think that she's made a mistake is that she records a uh, special kind of Latin music a lot, and she um, doesn't play her violin as much as she as she should, because I think that's what everybody wants to Heart strings is one of them, but there's... Realm of the Incas, Heartstrings, but there was one that she did more violin than uh, Heartstrings, I think she did, and Land of Golden Dreams, but Heartstrings is the one that you should ask for, Elizabeth Waldo, and it's called Heartstrings, and my dear daughter just brought it to me, and um, it says Elizabeth Waldo, uh, violinist, composer, conductor. She also writes her own music. She composed. Oh wow! She just got, well. I'm thrilled that you asked about her. Thank you. Well, yeah, uh, but I, I saw that and it piqued my interest because I, I too, I, I play piano and I, I compose some. So it's just interesting. 
Oh, you compose? Well, that is the most wonderful of all, you know, that you compose. That is what she enjoys more than anything. And I everybody wants her to play her violin because she's great at the violin, but she loves composing. And she's traveled. She's been to China five times. She's traveled all over the world, and she picks up some of the uh, music that she hears or that she identifies with as being close to the areas that she visits. So Yes. Yes, I think composing is, I love composing too. It uh, can be very satisfying. Uh, one last thing I'd like to talk about, though, you. I heard a couple years ago, I think you were up at the Birdback Convention or something, and you did a dramatization of your husband's novel, um, oh. Lost Letters of General Robert E. Lee. Yeah. That was, that was, a, that was just amazing. That's a, a wonderfully well done thing. I, I, that was, I was amazed. That's a really well written. I am so... Very well, actually. I really enjoyed that. I have to thank you for mentioning that because that was the last thing that my dear husband wrote. And he was, his name was Robert E. Lee, and he was enamored of General Robert E. Lee and read every book, every battle, and everything about what General Lee had done. And he said that most people think of Robert E. Lee as a hero on horseback, and he wanted to talk about Robert E. Lee, the man. And uh, that was his dream to get that written, and it was my dream to perform it, because I put it into, uh, my daughter helped me, and I put it into play form. And I'm so glad you liked it. Did you really like it? <laughs> oh, it, it was, it was, I, it was just amazing. I think it was an hour and a half, and usually I had a little trouble sitting and listening to something for an hour and a half, but I was just, I think mesmerized, but it was really good. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, I want to thank you especially for your call because that means so much to me because it was the last thing he, he wrote, and I I just love it myself, and I'm so glad that it touched you and that, it, that you liked it, too. Thank you. Oh, and, and it's been an absolute joy and delight to be talking to you, and uh, I just would like to say um, if you're... Uh, the Adventures in Odyssey, if you ever want to look for a radio station, their website, witsin.org, I think they list the whole, all of the stations that play it, because I've, I've been listening to it oh, really? about a What's the website for like 15 years here. So it's a really great show. And what's the website again, Chad? Witsin.org. Did you get that, Walden? Say it again one more, Chad. Your cell phone broke up. Web, uh, Webson? Uh, w h i t s e n d dot org. Witsend.org. Okay. Yeah. Chad would, Chad, would you type that out into an email for me, and then I can forward it to Janet? Oh, that was... Sure, I'll, I can do that. That'd be great. Thank, thank you. Oh, Patricia, you're wonderful. Thank you so much, and I'm so grateful to you for calling. You're, you're the highlight of this day for me. <laughs> Thank you for letting me talk to you, and um, uh, it's been a great delight to be talking to you, one of the youngest teenagers on radio. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm getting younger every day. <laughs> oh, do you, I wish you would do your squeal. <laughs> well, I explained. Did you hear me explaining to Patricia? Yeah, I did, yeah. And I, I didn't get any sleep last night. I'll try it, but I, it won't be right. Oh, Almost. <laughs> it didn't quite happen. It'll, but it, it, you, you have to be in the mood. Like so many things, you have to be in the mood. <laughs>
Well, thanks for trying. Maybe maybe some other guys will talk. We'll call in and maybe get you in with it. I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm I'm going to be sure that I'm more prepared to do that. I should know that you because everybody loves the squeal because everybody wants to squeal too. You know. So thank you so much for your good questions and your answers. Okay. Well, thank thank you for giving all the answers and I uh, wish you all the best and good night. And good luck to you with your composing. Keep doing it. Oh, I will. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I want to I be your fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's Chad from Nebraska, everybody. You are welcome to call and talk to the wonderful talent of Janet Waldo at 714-545-207. we got to give a little applause to Dr. Lucy Lee in the background. Oh, you know? But when Lucy's there, she's not on the, on the phone. I know. But, but when she's there... Everything lights up. You know, my daughter, you know that she's a teacher. She's a professor at USC, and she also has her doctorate. And now they they hired her to be the head of the whole department, and uh, she doesn't like that part so much <laughs> <laughs> because she has to keep all of the other teachers from killing each other. You know? <laughs> we'll just... We'll keep that between us and the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but she's uh, she's brilliant, and she also is an actress, uh, and was an actress, but she didn't like acting. Can you believe it? She well, said, I have to structure my life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I thought, well, I feel structured. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But she, she really doesn't like the waiting for calls. That is not, ah. you know, and I understand that. But I don't mind. <laughs> well, that's, uh, we're awfully glad you don't mind because if you did, we wouldn't have you. Well, I am so delighted to have talked to you, Patricia, and of course, always I'm happy when I talk to Walden. But you're doing a great job, you guys. And are you just about through, through with me? We are just about through, and I'm so glad Chad asked you about the lost letters of Robert E. Lee. That, that has awesome. made my day. I get, I, well, you can tell that I'm totally thrilled about that. It sounds like it. I have an, an, a quirky question that was not even on my list. You've mentioned several times that your husband hired you both before and after you were married. Yes. Was there any kind of friction that went on in radio when that happened? Was I mean, essentially, it would be considered nepotism. Uh, only one time it happened, and I was totally shocked. Um, uh, but actors are very generous, loving people. And this dear old actor, Norman Field, I don't know if anybody remembers him. I do. You do? Well, Walden, do. he was the one who pulled me aside and said, Janet, yeah. you want to break up your marriage? Yeah. He, he did a lot of Lux Radio Theater, everybody. He looked at a lot of Lux Radio th in the late 30s. He's almost did every single and one of those. Yeah. The one thing about radio actors, they all were kind and indulgent of each other. They all appreciated each other. But I had worked on Railroad Hour many times. And um, and Bob and I got married, and I worked on it. And Gordon, what's his last name? Uh, uh, Gordon McRae. Uh, said, huh, nepotism. And I said, what do you mean? I've worked on this show many times before I was married, before I even knew Bob. But I felt resentful of that because I thought that was kind of mean. Mm -hmm. But um, that is the only time I've ever had anybody say nepotism. But... 
I guess maybe it's because the only time I worked for Bob was when it was on his own show. Uh-huh. So he didn't care what anybody said. So it, it didn't make any difference. I mean, it, it, it was almost a, a crude question. In today's market, I think people would react to it. And I, I thought you were going to tell me that, no, it didn't make any difference. It was the performance that made the difference. Well, if you couldn't do the performance, then you shouldn't be on it. And, you that, be on and it. I, I admit that maybe sometimes that does happen when a, a husband will use his wife who will wreck everything else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, because I had done the show many times mm-hmm. and I had a reputation as a, as a good radio actor, yes. uh, I, I was sort of offended. But, um, but I loved Gordon McRae, sweet man. And uh, I think he was teasing me as much as anything. Ah. Uh, but I, I didn't take it lightly. <laughs> no. Of course well, I didn't. I, I have one more question. Are okay. we okay for one more question? For me? Yeah, sure. But I, I, I'm really afraid. What, what does Walden think? Walden loves Janet Waldo, so I will uh, keep Walden you. Walden lets me get away with I know. Well, I, Patricia... Janet, Patricia and I are on the air on set for eight hours, so... Oh, really? Yes. Really? Yes. We have another bunch of hours to go. Yes. So you're, you're, you you kicked off the show for it tonight. Oh, I wasn't really aware of that. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. You guys do eight hours? Uh-huh. Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you did have a good night's sleep last night. I got three hours. I, I feel good. Three hours? I feel good. Oh. I'm with two of my favorite ladies in the whole wide world, Patricia oh. and Janet Waldo. So I, I'm, I'm now... Patricia's my competitor. I, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Patricia, are, are you an actress? No. She's a writer. Oh, she's a writer? Yeah. That's, that's, re- that's really even better than being an actress. <laughs> I know, I because I admire so. writers so much. Oh. And my daughter is a writer, so you see? You're in, Thank you for you're in that. great shape. I, I appreciate but I've, that. I've really enjoyed meeting you, Patricia, and have fun the rest of the night. I really do have one more question, if we can sneak it in. Oh, sure, you sneaky little girl. (laughs) I would love to know which actor or actor you would like to work with just one more time, if you could. Oh, let me think about that. Oh, I have so many. Oh, well, I... I guess I loved Irene Tedrow more than anybody in the world. She was my mother on the Corliss Archer show. Uh-huh. She was a theater actress. And when I lost my mother, I was so devastated. And she moved in, not in my house, but, I mean, she was there for me for everything and counseled me when I would get sad. She would counsel me. She was a very spiritual person and just a dear, dear woman and a wonderful actress. But I loved her as a person and as an actress also. But I, I, I tell you that I'll give you several names of actors that that I loved and appreciated working with. Um, I loved Jean Vanderpile because she was uh, on the the Flintstones and the Jetsons. She played the robot uh, on the Jetsons, and we worked together a lot in radio. I loved her as a person and as an actress. Very versatile. She could do, she would come in and play a maid, and then she would do a French maid, uh, 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 an Italian maid, a crazy maid. uh, You know, I mean, she was just 
all she'd come in and do auditions with totally different characters every time. So for cartoons, she was a wonderful, wonderful actress. Um, uh, let's see who else. Well, Jeanette Nolan was a brilliant actress. You remember her? Mm-hmm. And and Lorene Tuttle, they were the they were the stars of radio acting. Uh, and when I first got into radio, um, uh, it was um, oh, the guy Big Street. What's his name? Um, who hired me? Said uh, he gave me the script, and he had Lorene Tuttle there. And I knew that they were auditioning me. He called me for the session, but I knew that if I didn't do it right. I would be out, and I did it, and then Lorene was all poised and ready to take over, <laughs> and I got the part, but she she would say, she said to me, very professional, which I really appreciated. She was a wonderful lady, and um, uh, let's see, Jeanette Nolan, I loved as an actress. Radio had brilliant actors and actresses, and... Um, I just, I just loved them all. That's, that's the truth. I had trouble not liking somebody because I admired them for their talent, and I admired them for being who they were. Does that answer your question? It sure does. Good, you Patricia. The, you did it right out of the chute, Janet. This has been such fun for me. Really? It really has. I, I am just so delighted. I've been looking forward to this. When Walden told me that you had agreed to uh, be a guest with us, well, I didn't oh. realize that you that you were going to give me so many questions. I would have done a little more homework. Oh, but you know, the best answers are the ones that you didn't do homework for. <laughs> I think you're right. The spontaneous stuff is usually yes. Janet, you are just wonderful. Would you stay on the line for just a minute sure. and uh, let us say good night properly? Okay. And we're going to kick off the next half hour, everybody. Starring our birthday girl, Janet Waddle, in the show that she's known for radio. Yes, yes, here calls Archer. And that was Patricia's interview with Janet Waddle back in 2012. What a lot of fun. It's live Saturday night, five minutes before 10. Jim mentioned last night the CBS Mystery Theater. So Lori found out. So we're going to play that neck and then the shoes. And then John Roy up to it, they might drop in a little later. So let me get ready and we'll start off with the CBS Mystery Theater starring Janet Waldo here on Yesterday USA. Jaws Professional, Jaws Professional. Jaws version 7, Jaws version 7, Alt Tab. Skype, sign and editing level, Alt Tab. Jaws Pro, Alt Tab 1. Yesterday USA 2's increased volume. Skype, sign and edit. Blank, Alt Tab, Jaws Pro, Alt Tab. Sound Forge, Alt Tab. Jaws Up, Alt Tab. Skype, Alt Tab. Jaws Pro, Alt Tab. Sound for Alt Tab. Jaws Updates of Windows M. Yes button to activate. Tab, Skype, sign in Windows M, Desk M, My Music M, Microsoft M, My Conference M, My Documents, Enter, Doc, 061 Friday Night Fop, Enter, 1 Ray Bream, CBSRMT 750912, Left Unloading, Cat Oak, Enter, 1.
I'm E.G. Marshall. Let's say it's a bright summer day with the sky high and blue, and you are half dozing in the shade of a tree out in the country or on your patio. A dense, dark shadow passes over you, and for the briefest moment, you shudder to the marrow of your bones with such intense cold that, for that moment, heart, breathing, feeling, life stops dead. You open your eyes and look up, but there is nothing in the clear sky. Then you will know that over you has passed one of the ghost planes. Our mystery drama, The Ghost Plane, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Richard Crenna and Janet Waldo. It is sponsored in part by Sinoff, the Sinus Medicines, and Buick Motor Division. I'll be back shortly with Act One. When you say Bush, St. Louis. For a lot of people, a full-size car is a downright necessity. Buick understands that, which is why they build the Sabre, a car with lots of standard comfort and convenience, a big trunk, and honest-to-goodness elbow room for six. Buick the Sabre, free spirit in the family size. For a change, some good news for the working person. If you don't have a retirement plan where you work, the Emigrant Savings Bank has a nice little tax shelter you can take advantage of. It's their IRA individual retirement account. It lets you deduct up to 15% of your annual earnings, or as much as $1,500 a year, and set it aside in a high-paying IRA plan. The entire amount is tax-free, including the interest it earns until after you retire. In fact, the more you save for retirement under this plan, the less taxes you'll pay each year. So when you finally retire, you'll have a lot more to fall back on than just your Social Security checks. Don't put off saving for your retirement. The longer you wait, the more taxes you'll pay. For information about Emigrants' individual retirement account, drop by any Emigrant office or call the Pension Department, 212-883-5800. They'll help set up your own little tax shelter because Emigrant wants to help. Emigrant Savings Bank, member FDIC. Here's Ralph Flinger, better known as Mr. I Know Where They Are. Ralph, whatever became of Edwin Laudy, the inventor of the bridge lamp? Oh, yeah, so he's well up in his 90s now, but he still works every day taking chain-link fences apart. A listener would like to know whatever became of a young daredevil named Warner Bromley, who flew a Zeppelin upside down. Ah, uh, yes, he once tried to fly a Zeppelin upside down through the framework of the Eiffel Tower. What's he doing now? He inflates weather balloons for the government. All right, mister, I know where they are. How about Stuffy Hodgson, Calvin Hoogevin, Jimmy Schwab, Fred Falvey, and Mary Backstage? Oh, they're all to be found in the pages of a new Bob and Ray book, Right If You Get Work, along with Wally Ballou, Tippy the Wonder Dog, and many more fascinating characters. That's Right If You Get Work, the best of Bob and Ray, at your bookstore now. Incidentally, Edwin Lowdy claimed he invented the bridge lamp, but he didn't. 
Well, he's in his 90s now. I don't see any point in reopening that controversy. Right if you get work, the new book by Bob and Ray is available now at Book and Department Stores, published by Random House. For all intents and purposes, the plane in which we are traveling is not different from any normal jet, a 707 or perhaps a DC-9, with two exceptions, perhaps. There is no first class, as if it were a charter plane. And it carries only two lone passengers, both of them apparently asleep. There are other, many other differences in this plane. But I leave you to discover those for yourself. Wake up, Jenny. Wake up, Jenny. Wake up, Jenny. Wake up, Jenny. What? Where am I? A plane? I wasn't going on a plane, was I? Who was I? If I am, where to? What for? I can't be awake. It doesn't feel... And yet I'm... I'm not asleep, I know that. I can hear the engines. Feel the vibration. She looks so old. I never saw an old stewardess on a plane before. But at least I can ask her. Oh, why did she have to stop by him? I hope they don't talk too long. Herb Moss, wake up. Herb Moss, wake up. Herb Moss, wake up. I must have fallen asleep. I don't feel tired. I can't remember. Chicago? St. Louis? No, I didn't have a town trip this week. Oh, did I? It wasn't up at the lake. Well, then, how... Oh, Stortus! Yes, sir. Can I help you? The seatbelt light is out, so I guess it's safe to smoke. In the rear of the plane, it is permitted to smoke. Oh, thanks. Yeah, how about rustling me up a double martini real dry to go with that? Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Moss. There are no drinks served on this plane. Not even a little wine with dinner? No meals I served either. No. That's the way it is with charter flights, huh? You could call this a charter flight. Yes, sir. It's not a through flight, I guess. There'll be some set-downs. That's correct, sir. Well, I hope for your sake business wasn't all that bad, just two of us. How many are you expecting at the next stop? I don't know that yet. Excuse me. I think I want it up front, Mr. Moss. May I be of assistance, Miss Waller? I, I know you're going to think this is real dumb of me, but I, I fell asleep, and waking up, I'm so spaced out, I... I can't remember. I mean, where are we going? I'm sorry, dear. I'm not allowed to tell you that. You mean I, I'm some sort of prisoner? Oh, no. No, not at all. You can go anywhere in the plane you like, except the cockpit, of course. Now, if you'll excuse me, I think perhaps the captain wants to talk to me. Well, no, wait. Wait, please. Oh, just a minute. Uh, 
there, there's so many things I want to ask you. I really wouldn't do any good. I wouldn't be able to answer. Well, just one thing. Is is this some sort of a, a hospital plane or something? I've told you all I can tell you. Oh, Lord, what is it? Some awful dream. I'm scared. Oh, Mom. Mom. Someone, please. I'm so scared. Oh, excuse me, miss. Oh. Uh, oh. Hi. Hello. I, uh... <laughs> well, there are only two of us on the whole plane, so, uh... Well, to tell you the truth, I could use some company. Uh, so could I. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I'll, I'll slide over so you can sit down. Oh, thank you. Uh, my name is, uh... Just, uh... Something that I... I should have my... Uh, yeah, that's my business card. Herbert Moss. I'm in, uh... I'm with Troy, Train, and Kenwood. That's... That's an advertising firm. Well, as long as we're talking together, I think I should ask your name. Me? Oh, it's Jenny. Uh, Jenny, she called me. Oh, wait a minute. Let me look in my bag. There, there ought to be... Yeah, here. My dent card. Jenny Wallace. That's me. Lousy picture, huh? <laughs> no, not at all. Nobody our age takes a bad picture. You, uh... You also didn't seem to be sure of your name, Ginny. Ginny, right? <laughs> but don't look so scared, dear. You have company. Why do you think I went groping for my business card? I wasn't sure of mine either. No kidding. You weren't honest? Honest. I'll tell you more than that. I don't know how I got on this plane. Do you? you something else. You probably don't know where this plane is headed for, do you? No, I don't. And the stewardess wouldn't tell me. Or me. Another thing. I've looked through all my pockets and I can't find any carbon copy of my ticket, luggage checks, anything like that. I, I feel so scared. You don't think it's like, like, well, like one of those skyjack things and we're, we're the hostages, like, I mean... Well, I could figure you, but why me? Skyjack. No, I don't know. It's possible, except... Except what? Well, why don't we know who we are? Remember where we're going. Let's try some questions. Do you have any brothers or sisters? Sure. Uh, uh, two sisters and a brother. How old are they? Uh, younger than me. Mary's 14, Margaret's 11, and uh, Tommy's only 7. And your mother and father? Pop, Pop died a while back. Mom's alive. Mm. You live with the family? No, I. Uh, I was going to say I, I didn't anymore, but well, it's going sort of blank again. All right, now let's let's not push it. Or you. All right, let's think about me. Well, uh, we know you work at an advertising agency. What do you do there? I'm an account executive, vice president in charge of Magnum Brands. Well, I bet you live outside the city and travel in commuter trains with bar cars and all like that. And I, I bet, I bet you're married, right? With kids near my age? Yes, yes. Brian's at college already, and Adrienne is, is... Yes, of course I'm married, and I live in 
Greenridge. Hey, wait a minute. There's, there's a picture of kids a couple of years ago, and it's my wife, Nina. Here's some other pictures of the kids. And that's the house. And this one, too. Oh, beautiful. Oh, whoops, darling, you dropped one. Um, who's this? Hmm? Oh, that's my secretary, Barbara. Oh, good Lord. What is it, Mr. Moss? Well, nothing. <laughs> no, it's nothing. I, uh, I forgot to leave her some, some instructions about a meeting. I... day is this? I don't know. I don't even know the day. I have a feeling it's terribly important for us to know just what this day means. To both of us. Jenny, what is it? Just the way you said it. You gave me goosebumps all over. (laughs) I know the feeling. I don't like anything about this. Look, on a plane like this, there should be more than one hostess. I'm going up front to get some information about where this plane is going. Why don't you go aft and see if there is another hostess in the galley? You mean like in the back? Yes, I'm going to check the pilot. Okay, Mr. Moore. Pilot? Pilot or somebody, I want to talk to you. I demand that you open this door. This is your captain. Will all passengers please notice that the no smoking lights are on and that seat belts be fastened? Please resume your seats immediately. We are preparing to land. Passengers will resume their seats immediately and buckle their seat belts. Please put out all cigarettes. We are preparing to land. No, it's all right, Jenny. We're just diving a bit deeply. That's oh, all. I feel kind of sick to my stomach. Now, slide my in and sit down. Sit down. Oh. That's the girl. Oh. Now, keep your mouth open and swallow. And fasten your seatbelt. Hold up tight. Oh. Now, listen to me. I don't know what you plan to do, but when we land, whatever it is, I'm getting off this plane. I'd advise you to do the same. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've only got a couple of dollars. Don't worry about that. I've got money and credit cards. Oh. You want to get off with me? Oh, yes. The moment I tell you to, snap open your seatbelt and head with me to the exit. This is your captain. We are about to land. Remain in your seats, as this will be a short stop. Do not unfasten your seatbelts on land. We shall be taking off immediately. Pig's eyes. Dad. We're down. That's funny. I never heard him drop that landing gear. Are we all right? Hmm. Now, as soon as we come to a halt, snap open your seatbelt and follow me. Yes, Mr. Mars. Okay, now. Oh, oh, I, I can't. The buckle won't open. As soon as I get mine, I'll... Oh, damn. Oh, I knew something was up. I sure would like to know what the devil is going on. What is it, Mr. Mars? These damn belts are gimmicked somehow. We're trapped in our seats. Whoever they are, they're not going to let us get off. Who are they? I don't know, Jenny. I'm afraid even to think. Still, it is a good question. Who are they? Where is this strange plane headed with its cargo of only two passengers? Why is the hostess an elderly woman? And what is the rest of the crew like? 
And why have they stopped at uh, wherever they have stopped? And, and who else or what else is coming aboard? I'll return shortly with Act Two. This is veteran broadcaster Wally Ballou chatting with some of the wise folks who are taking advantage of General Electric's Happy Birthday America celebration going on right now at participating GE dealers. Sir? How do you do, Mr. Ballou? It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. I might say you look much older and smaller in person than you do on TV. Could I have your name, please? Uh, Stilskin, R.P. Stilskin. And you're taking advantage of this big General Electric celebration going on right now. Sure am. What an array of super values. GE radios, tape recorders, stereo systems. I don't know what to buy first. Well, I might suggest a GE digital clock radio or one of a number of tape recorders. Buy one and you get a free Spirit of 76 portable AM radio. That's value. Hey, I'll do that. How long is this event going to last? Through March 15th. And this is Wally Bull inviting everyone to visit a participating GE dealers and share in GE's Happy Birthday America celebration now. I didn't uh, ask you what you do for a living, Mr. Stiltskin. I spend gold in the subway tokens. Now let's pick up some of that bad music. My name is Tom Carvel. I'm sitting here with a graduate of Carvel Ice Cream College. What is your name, please? Louise Barnhart. Louise, you were the owner of a Carvel store? Yes. Where is it located? Margate, Florida. Okay. If I were a consumer, what could you tell me about Carvel ice cream as compared to any of your competitors? Well, I don't think you can compare Carvel with any other ice cream. Because actually, it's the only ice cream that's freshly made daily in all the stores. How about the weight of it? Well, it weighs much heavier than many other ice creams that we've tried. All right. The point we try to make is that if the integrity of the manufacturer is that great, why don't you put it in the package, okay? Now, if you weigh ice cream, Carvel, as compared to any other product, you'll find it's heavier. So your manufacturer is selling retail, and you're located where again? Margate, Florida. Thank you. Did you know that the estrogen pills used by 4 million women may cause cancer? Do you know why it's taking 15 years to take red dye 2 off the market? Do you know that the civil war in Lebanon could become the fifth Arab-Israeli war? Do you know how all of these events and facts could affect you personally? Your answer should be yes, because you should be reading the National Observer. The National Observer is written for people who want more from a newspaper. And now you can get the next 26 weekly issues of the Observer for only $6. That's less than 23 cents a week. And the National Observer will send you free a 248-page book that will give you advice on coping with college costs, how to escape a fire in your home, how you can actually make money from your trash. It will show you how to stretch your dollars on all subjects from staying healthy to taking better and less expensive care of your car. It's free if you subscribe to the National Observer now. Call 212-757-5150. That's 212-757-5150. Out of town, call Collect. The strange plane rests on the ground, its engines idling easily, and nothing happens. In their seats, Ginny Wallace and Herb Ross have given up struggling with the seat belts, which refuse to unclasp, pinning them helplessly in their seats. The cockpit door remains closed. The sense of unimaginable and pending action is so palpable that both have dropped their voices almost to a whisper. Can you see where we are out the window? Nothing. 
No, rub the window off. I can't reach. Well, I did, but it's just that white mist, sort of like a cloud. I mean, outside. No lights? No movement you can see? No. What's going to happen to us? I don't know. What's that? Bring them on board. Who is it? I can't see over the back of the seat. I don't know about the passengers, but it's the stewardess who was up front. How did she get to the rear of the plane? I don't know. That's it. Mr. Schaefer in K-1. Strap him in and... Stewardess? In a moment, Mr. Morris. Miss Newman in S-1. And Mr. Downing in S-2. Make them secure. Stewardess, I demand to be released and let off at this stop. Thank you, boy. As soon as you're out, we'll button up and take off. Stewardess! Do you hear me? I... Didn't you hear? Why won't you listen? We are in the takeoff run. Please do not smoke. And make sure that all safety belts are fastened. Not release until a light goes on. Not release. Perhaps who has a chance? Can't you stop it, Mr. Moss? Some way. Yes, I can't, Jenny. I think you must be beginning to realize that as well as I do. Wake up, Danny Schaefer. Wake up, Danny Schaefer. Wake up, Danny Schaefer. Wake up. Where am I? What is this? A plane? Are you quite comfortable, Mr. Schaefer? Who the devil are you? The stewardess. You've got to be kidding. An old team like you? Hey, what kind of an airline is this anyhow? At the proper time, you'll know. Excuse me, I have other passengers to attend to. Wake up, Carol Newman. Carol Newman. Carol Newman. Carol Newman. I don't want to wake up. I don't ever want to wake up. I could care about that. What am I doing on a plane? Who's this guy next to me? I don't fly tourists. Think. Wake up, Bruce Dowling. Wake up, Bruce Dowling. No. Oh, no, I couldn't. Not now. Not now. I, I made the big chance. I can't blow it. I can't. Only I have. I know it. Damn motor is still running. It, it's still... What? I'm not under the car. I'm on a plane. It, it's all right. It must be all right. Quite all right, Mr. Downing. Yeah? Uh-huh. I say for the moment, it's quite all right. Where are we headed? On the passage you booked. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to make quite a few preparations. Hey, hey wait a minute. Damn. What's the matter with this buckle? He's messing around with it. I tried. Some new safety gimmick, I suppose. Won't release till the seatbelt light goes off. Oh, well. What's the difference? You mind if I smoke? No. If you have a stick, I'll join you. Oh, no grass, ma'am. I mean, I'm strictly keep off the grass these days. Just straight old filter tip. Did I ask for anything more? You didn't have to. We're two of a kind, right? And what does that mean? We've been down a lot of the same roads. Yeah. I've been down the same roads, I guess. Just a few more of them than you, Sonny. You weather pretty well. And a couple of years doesn't give you any right to that, Sonny. You can call me 
Bruce. Uh, Bruce, uh... Bruce will do. I'm Carol. I've got a case of the who the hell am I? How did I get here blues, too? I was hoping you could clue me in. About what, for example? This flight. Where we're going. How I got here. You think I'd be much help? You notice what I'm wearing? Yeah. It's, uh, nice. Sort of, uh... Yeah, I see what you mean. No use asking you if you've got a ticket. Scarcely. In a negligee, you can pretty well tell everything I've got. I get a blanket from the hostess. Do you have a ticket? Not that I can find. And you have no idea how or why you're here? No. Well, kind of hazy. But no. Oh, damn. If we could only get out of these seat belts. What for? You see that couple sitting down front? The older man and the chick in the jeans? Yeah. I've got a crazy notion they were already on the plane before it landed. Or anyway, before it picked us up. Maybe they have some answers. What about the mean-looking kid with the frizzy up ahead? One with the knife he's trying to cut the belt with. I don't think I want to tangle with that character. He's riding the edge of something. This is your captain. We have now reached our cruising altitude. And for a brief period to our next stop, we suggest you loosen your seatbelts if you so desire and stretch out a little. Smoking is permitted in the rear half of the plane. Mr. Moss? Yes, Jenny? What did you mean about me beginning to realize what's happening as well as you do? Aren't you beginning to remember things? I... I'm not sure. It's like a bad dream. Things that couldn't really happen have happened to me only. And the worst of all is... I don't know how to say it. How to explain it. You don't have to, Jenny. I know. I feel the same way. Sooner or later, we're going to have to face it. No. Jenny, my poor, dear little girl. Excuse me for breaking up the love scene, but I'm looking for a couple of answers, man. There's no smoking in this section of the plane. (laughs) You gotta be putting me on, man. There's five of us here. That's all there are. Who cares? Them other two will lit up. In the proper section. And the lady beside me doesn't smoke. Oh, you mean love child here? Don't let her give you no run around, Dan. She not only smokes, turns on, but she's a user, I can tell. Put that cigarette out, punk, or I'll run you aft and stick your head down one of the bowls. Tough guy, huh? Still feel so tough? <gasps> a knife? Oh, Mr. Mark! Take it easy, Jenny. I don't think he wants to try to use it. It's just supposed to scare me and try to prove what a big man he is. Hey, now, don't ever kid yourself. I got nothing to lose. Now, let's answer me a couple of questions. Such as? Where's this plane headed for? I don't know. Now, don't give me that. You were here before we got up. Before, or however we got here, you must know something. Don't you know why you're here? Hey, man, would I be asking you if I did? Hold it. What do you two want? Same thing you do, apparently. Information. Our seatbelts. Mr. Moss, we can loosen them now. Yes, Jenny, I already have. 
Lord, come on. Let's start cooling us in. What is this, a prison ship or something? And why would you think that? Will you lay out... Hey. Hey, what's the idea to get up you're wearing? I don't know. It's what I had on when I woke up here on the plane. You mean you two were shacking up and he brought you aboard in your fancy nightshirt? No, she doesn't mean that. The first time I met this lady was on this plane. I, I, I don't even know how I got here myself. And why don't you put that knife away? And why don't you cool it? I ain't letting this out of my hand till I get a slant on what this whole gig is, see? My name is Herbert Moss. This is Ginny Wallace. Who cares about names? We should get acquainted since we're all in the same fix. Well, all right. I'm Danny. Uh, Danny, uh... Da- I don't know. Somebody must have slipped me a Mickey or something before I got caught around here. I, I can't think. Uh, Jenny and I had trouble remembering who we were. How about you two? Well, a, a kind of a voice whispered my name to me. Yeah, me too. That's how I knew my name. Yeah, yeah, right on, right on. Same with me. Like I was, like like I was coming to. Uh, uh, wake up, Danny. Uh, yeah, yeah. The old bag in the uniform. She said, Schaefer. Schaefer. Downing. Bruce Downing. That's me. And the voice said Carol Newman. Newman! Oh, well, great. Now, now we're all buddies, okay? But look, I'm asking you, Dad, what's going on? What do you know? I told you nothing. Don't give me that. I heard you say something to the love chick here when I came up. Something about face it. Face what? Doesn't anybody know? Or guess? It's all just bits pieces, things that won't go together. I I can't remember it straight. Yeah, it's like that for me, too. Mr. Downing? Uh, Yeah, that's about the size of it. One thing I do... uh, It doesn't tie in right away. How about you, Dad? Well, I'm beginning to remember a lot more than I want to. All right, now what does that mean? Answer me a question first. Do you remember anything... Yeah. I remember plenty. I've held up stores, run numbers, lifted, hoisted cars, you name it, ever since I was 14 years old. But only to put something in my stomach. The last thing I do remember is I finally went for the big one. Murder one. I was robbing a store and a cop tried to jump me. And before I could think, I I had the shiv in him and I knew he'd bought it. So that's to clear the air. I don't really care about none of the rest of you. All I want to know is what am I doing in this bleeping plane and where are we headed and how do we get off of here? And this time I expect an answer, Dad. Because I think you know. And I don't know exactly. I'm only guessing. For two reasons. Spill them. First, you all heard Danny... He's done plenty to be ashamed of, even if he wouldn't admit it. I think the first part of that statement is what all of us have in common. We're all deeply ashamed of something or things we've done. That's number one. What would I be ashamed of? Or me? I didn't do anything wrong. Shut up! What's the other thing we got in common? Take a look at your windbreaker, Danny. Yeah, what about it? There's a hole in the front. So what? Unzip it. Look at your shirt underneath. 
Well, pull up your shirt and look at your chest. Hey, come on. What are you trying to pull? I'm trying to answer your questions for you. And for all of us. Okay. Hey. Come on, blood. What happened? I'm guessing that police officer you knifed had a partner and that he shot you. Right through the heart. I got a hole in my chest. Big slug. At least, at least a 38. Hit like that, I, I must be. Oh no, no, no! I can't be. I'm afraid you are, Danny. I'm afraid all of us are. You mean we're, we're This is your captain. Will you please be sure that you are seated and have fastened your seatbelts? Please extinguish all cigarettes. We are coming in for a landing now. Thank you. Better fasten up, everyone. What for? Not me. I'm getting off this plane when it lands, understand? They won't allow you to. You might as well follow orders. If he increases the pitch anymore, you'll be rolling all over the floor. You could break your neck. What difference does it make if I'm dead? I don't know that for sure. I'm only guessing because... Because I think I remember that... I am dead. the truth? And if he has, what are the passengers who ride this strange plane headed for at this next landing? That is, supposing the pilot can pull the plane out of the screaming dive that has sent Dan scrambling for a seat and, for the moment, the welcome restraint of the seatbelt. I'll be back in a moment with Act Three. Like a taste, smoothness, and a drinkability you'll find in no other beer at any price. A taste, a smoothness, and a drinkability that say, this beer, Budweiser, is the king of beers. When you say Budweiser, you've said it all. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis. You've worked hard to get where you are, and now would be a very good time to give yourself a little pat on the back in the form of Buick Electra, a car filled with room, luxury, comfort, the perfect place for you and your free spirit to get together. Buick Electra. Think of it as recognition for a job well done. for dinner, your ShopRite has the answer. Grade A oven-ready turkeys, toms or hens, 10 to 22 pounds, just 47 cents a pound. It's a low-calorie and nutritious meal at a great price. Check the ShopRite meat case for a lot more savings. Get your vitamin C with sun-kissed navel oranges, the large 88 size, 10 for 79 cents, or ShopRite frozen orange juice, the 16-ounce can, just 49 cents. There's a lot more for a little less at your ShopRite. Shop right to the rest. Hey, my, what's for dinner? Shop right has the answer. New York in the 1890s. 
Mr. Louis Sherry's New York, a city of elegance. If J.P. Morgan wanted to dine in the style to which he was accustomed, he'd go to Mr. Louis Sherry's celebrated restaurant. Good evening, sir. The highlight of dinner at Sherry's was the ice cream dessert. Louis Sherry's ice cream still has that old-fashioned flavor, yet none of today's additives. It's made only from real cream, milk, pure cane sugar, egg yolks, natural flavor, no artificial anything. You'll see that we haven't lost our taste for old-fashioned elegance. Mr. Louis Sherry's ice cream. The natural flavor of the 1890s in the 1970s. Again, the great plane lies earthbound, or at least not in the act of flying. Again, swirling mists mask whatever may lie outside the cabin where five people sit imprisoned now. And again, the motherly but elusive stewardess superintends the boarding of new passengers. This time, only one who is seated in the very rear. And now, with his arrival, there is a new surprise. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Hey, look, I want to talk to you. I just want to get off. Be quiet and listen to me, please. I have something to explain. This will be the last stop before your destination. The passenger who has just come on board is the Reverend Dr. Pell. He will join you as soon as you are airborne. I will not be with you for the rest of the flight. May I wish you all goodbye and good luck. beloved father, I do remember that article of the acts of religion which does concern the wicked, and such be void of a lively faith. Must I then be denied the partaking of the body of Christ in the use of the Lord's Supper? What happened? Nothing. We just stopped climbing and leveled off. Then that means the seatbelt light should be going on any minute, and then, and then the horn will tell us that we can get off and get out of here, right? I suppose so all that means. Hey, look, we ain't dead. I ain't buying any of that bull, understand? Now I gotta get to a dock and fix me up. Won't do any good. Too late. How do you know? I mean, what makes you so sure? Because I have a hole in my chest to match yours. Look. Your shirt is covered with blood. (laughs) I had everything. A loving wife, Fine children, successful career. I'm 48 years old. And my secretary was 22. And I took advantage of her. Made her my mistress. Promised her a marriage I knew I had no intention of going through with. And I was just leaving her apartment when the young man she should have married... Emotionally insane. Shot me. The last thing I remember was the bullet tearing into my chest. And then the blackness. 
That's why I know I am dead and why I am on this plane. Why all of us are. Why? Why me? He said it before. We all have something to be ashamed of. What was your scene, man? Mention anything an actor can do to claw his way to the top, and I've tried it. I... I won't embarrass little Jenny by naming them. I wouldn't want to hurt a lady's feelings. I once thought I had talent as a designer. But I had another talent that men were more interested in. It was worth quite a lot of money, I found. It was after I'd been married and my husband walked out on me when I had a kid. I'm not excusing myself. But I did have to bring up my baby until she died. And by that time, as you can see, I wasn't all that young anymore. So, so much in demand. And what was there left to live for? I had uppers, downers, everything. So instead of my usual two before going to bed alone, I emptied the bottle. <laughs> Excuse the hearts and flowers. But it seems to be let's take our hair down time. I thought you'd broken out of the trap. I had. At the expense of my best friend. Yeah, who? An actor friend who was playing the part in Uranus. Who got me the job as understudy. His first break, too. I slipped him a Mickey before the opening night performance. That's how I went on and got all the reviews. <laughs> I thought I was a big star already, had it made... Bought myself a sports job and became a party boy. Invited now instead of hired. I turned that car upside down trying to make a right angle curve at 90. Damn right I'm dead. And I know it. And maybe I'm glad. I... I killed my baby. I deserve to die. Hush. Jenny, hush. I love in that bed. I loved him so. I wanted to be married. But Mom wouldn't give her consent. She thought he was too old for me. I thought if I was having his baby, Mom would have to agree about marriage. I waited till after three months. And I told her, only he walked out on me. And it, it was too late. Too late for the hospitals to take care of me. So I, I didn't want his baby anymore. And I went to not even a doctor. Oh. We all do. And Mr. Moss is right. That's why we're here. And that's where we're all going. Straight to hell. Oh, no. No, sir, not me. Now, what do you think you're going to do? I've been looking. The door to the cockpit is open. The shiv's enough. I'm going in there and skyjack this plane. I'm going to make that pilot turn back. The belts are open. Come on, Bruce. We better get him. What, do you think there's a chance? I don't want that crazy kid to... What is it, Danny? Danny, what's the matter? 
There's no one in there. No one. There's no one flying the plane. Lord. I'm afraid not, Miss Newman. Not yours or any of ours. What do you mean, Father? I'm not a father. But you're still a minister. You could help us. I wish I could, my dear. I wish that with all my heart, but... You see, I am one of you. I've been listening to all of you, and I know now that's why I'm here. I no longer have any right to the name of a minister. What brought you here to join us, sir? The greatest sin of all. I renounced my God. I spent the last four years in Vietnam. I saw such suffering and misery without reason that... But I was too busy then to think of the scars it left on the mind. I was only returning to the United States, wanting to pray for those poor people I'd known and for the agony of our country and all the world that... that suddenly I found there were no more words. There was no more belief. Everything had been wrung from me. And my faith was gone. How did you die? By God's hand. I was passing a crowd, lost in my own thoughts and the struggle in my mind, and a policeman came to me and said there was a boy on a ledge threatening to kill himself unless they found him a minister. I went up to that high place and out on that ledge, and I asked him to come in. And he said to me, Father, why should I come back to a world where there is no God? Tell me, convince me that there is one, and I will come in. Where were the words of comfort that can only be spoken from the soul? I, who had picked this mission to devote my life to, had none to offer. And the blackness hit me. I felt myself reeling, and like Lucifer, I fell headlong into eternal damnation. I wonder whose is the greatest sin. And does it matter after all? I'd guess that religion has touched me less than any one of you. I still have hope. Hey, man, what are you talking about? You're the one put the whammy on us from the beginning. You're the one first put us all behind the eight ball. Whatever all of us did, we were human. Human, born to make mistakes. Big or little. If we didn't, we'd be God. Or gods. Each of us carries our private hell within us. I cannot conceive of anything beyond that as punishment. The whole idea of God surely means compassion. What's that? We're landing. Without any approach? In midair? What does it mean? Hey, help me. Hey, knock it off, Danny. Hey, ain't you scared? Sure. But not so much after what Mr. Moss said. Plane's coming to a halt. Luke. You said we were two of a kind. Yeah. Then can I hang on to you? I'm terrified. Sit down, everyone. Let's not waste time. Who are you? Traffic control, of course. 
Are we in hell? Not yet. May I ask where we are? This is sort of a halfway station. We have your dossiers. You have all made mistakes of greater or lesser value. That's neither here nor there. You have reached what is usually called the point of no return. That is the point on a journey where you are exactly halfway. And so you have a choice. Do you wish to continue? Or would you like to go back to where you were before the moment of finite death? You mean we are not condemned everlastingly? No one has judged you as yet but yourselves. None of you returns to face an easy life. But if you want to, you may. You mean there is a God who offers us a second chance? Of course. Everyone deserves that, don't you think? I wonder if the memory of this tale will haunt you. And if, perhaps, as it does, that mistake, that hurtful or even vicious action you may have taken may give you a moment's pause to reconsider and perhaps to try to repair the damage. For all of us, there is a second chance. At least once. I'll be back shortly. I want that sinus medicine. Headache tablet? No, the sinus medicine that relieves headache and congestion. Internal sinus pressure and post-nasal drip. You mean Sinoff? Exactly. Compare Sinoff tablets with anything you've ever taken for sinus. No sinus tablet you can buy relieves more symptoms. Sinoff gives you a full dose of pure aspirin plus a powerful sinus drainer. Sinoff works fast to help sinus pain while you drain. S-I-N-E-O-F-F. Sinoff, the sinus medicines in the bright red box. Take when needed, only as directed. Do you know about the new ways to relieve tension, sinus problems, aging symptoms? Do you know about the surgeon who uses vitamin E to help people with circulation problems? If you don't know, you probably don't know Prevention, America's largest health magazine. All this vital information has appeared recently in Prevention, and each month, over a million and a half subscribers depend on Prevention for the same kind of helpful information about living healthier, happier, longer lives. Try Prevention for yourself. Twelve issues, only five eighty-five, and the editors will also send you the Good Health Cooking Guide free. Now, to order Prevention... Send no money now. Just phone 757-5650. In New York, that's 212-757-5650. Out of town, call collect. Or write Prevention, WOR, New York 10018. If you don't like the first issue, cancel and keep the issue and the free cooking guide. You'll owe nothing. But do phone today, 757-5650 for Prevention. Men, women, European health spas have a new membership for you that's very special for two good reasons. First, it will cost you only $4.33 a week average for a two-year program. Secondly, you get all the services and facilities that have made this one of the world's most preferred health club organizations. Your very own private membership and the luxury of the European health spas. Did you ever think a European health spa's membership would cost so little? From your very first visit, you'll feel the exhilaration of doing something great for your body. You'll feel a glow come to your face, the excitement of feeling stronger, more vibrant, more alive. And you'll receive your own exercise and nutrition program to help you keep that feeling. Do it now, now that you can afford it. They'll even give you a complimentary first visit. 
There's a special low-priced membership waiting for you at European Health Spas. $4.33 a week is an average cost based on the cash price of their new two-year membership. This special new membership good at one spa only. Call now for details. The number is in your white pages. Our cast included Richard Krenner, Janet Waldo, Casey Kasem, Virginia Gregg, and Sam Edwards. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and General Electric. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. by ShopRite Supermarkets, where you get a lot more for a little less. The preceding program is furnished by CBS Radio. I'm Barry Farber. Whose side are you on in the war between parents and children? No matter whose side you're on, you'll find something to gripe about and something to cheer about in the opinions to be expressed on these microphones during this argument, Parents versus Kids, right here on The Barry Farber Show at 8.15 on WOR New York. in the Mutual Broadcasting System studios in Washington, D.C. My commentary after this. Even these days, there are ways to save money. Interested? Well, one way is to keep your car well-tuned with AC firing spark plugs because AC spark plugs not only help improve your car's performance, they could also help save gasoline. So see your AC Delco service man. Get a tune-up with AC spark plugs today. Ask for Paul O'Reilly at Thunderbird Auto, 7301 51st Avenue in Woodside. They're body and mechanical work experts. We're all a little leery of the dark. That's why some lonely night, you'll be glad you bought a Delco battery. A Delco quality battery with instant starting power. Delco batteries. Some lonely night, you'll be glad you bought one. See Don or Mal at Tyson Motor Parts, 40936th Street, Union City, New Jersey. There's easy access, free parking, so drive over to Tyson Motor Parts. In St. Louis today, speaking to the National Baptist Convention, representing more than six million of the nation's blacks, President Ford said equality is not yet a full reality for every American, I'm sorry to say. He called for what he termed a communion of Americans of all races and creeds to build a new and better America as the nation enters its third century. The president spoke to the convention as he began a two-day business and political trip to Missouri, Kansas, and Texas. He said that minorities and women still do not participate equally in employment, nor do they share many economic, social, and other resources of the nation. Yet the struggle goes on, he declared. And it must continue until the vision of the Founding Fathers and the dream of Martin Luther King and others has become a reality. The world's and the nation's greatest problems, the President said, can be solved only by sincere changes of the will and the human heart. 
It was the president's second full day before the public has, uh, as a whole since 26-year-old Lynette Fromm pointed a gun at the president just one week ago in Sacramento, California. She, of course, as you recall, was subdued by Secret Service agents on that point. And since that incident, presidential security has been extremely heavy. In New Hampshire yesterday, when the president was campaigning for Republican senatorial candidate Louis Wyman, Secret Service agents were surrounding him at all times, and there was strict police control of all of the crowds. The president, in addition, appeared to be wearing a protective vest, probably a bulletproof vest, as he plunged repeatedly into the crowd to shake the hands of well-wishers along the motorcade route. Well, today in St. Louis, a patrolman said that he spotted a man armed with a pistol near Keele Auditorium, where the president was to speak. The president apparently was not in the immediate area at the time. St. Louis police said the man was armed with a 45 caliber, uh, caliber pistol. The patrolman said the man escaped into a parking garage next door to the auditorium, and a search of the garage was ordered. The patrolman's report was received at 12.50 in the afternoon, at central daylight time, a time when the president was at a television station about 10 blocks away from the auditorium for an interview at the police command post, an officer said that the man was described as white, about 30 to 35 years old. The officer said that about 50 reserve officers were promptly set into the area to augment about 150 officers that were already there on duty. Here in Washington, the Secret Service did receive the report about an hour after the incident occurred. A spokesman here for the Secret Service said, we got a preliminary report that a St. Louis police officer spotted somebody with something that appeared to be a weapon. In the meantime, St. Louis police also reported that two bomb threats were telephoned to the auditorium switchboard where the president was to speak. A spokesman said the calls apparently were from two different women. Well, a member of Congress and while vice president and even while president, President Ford has spoken out repeatedly against the concept of forcible busing to achieve a racial balance in the schools. But today, in his address before the Black Baptists in St. Louis, he did not mention anything about busing, the president saying only that he stands for, quote, quality education for every American. He said that that can be achieved, quote, with reason, calm, and sincerity, and some prayers from all of us. The president praised the work of the church for having a major influence on black accomplishments in the United States. He stated, quote, I firmly believe that there should be more church leadership in this country. We see enough of the material power, what the American people need to know and feel more often is the spiritual power of the church, school, and family in their lives. The future of America is not so much based on how much energy and steel we produce, although these are vital to our existence, but the future of America is based on the rights and responsibilities that we as individual citizens are willing to commit to others and accept ourselves. The president offered what he called a great and noble goal, the communion of Americans coming together to face a common destiny as one people, one nation, dedicated not only to the preservation, but to the extension of that unity. While the president was in St. Louis, Vice President Nelson Rockefeller was in Dallas, kicking off a two-day political tour of his own through the Southwest. He was sounding the administration's theme of free enterprise with a tight fiscal belt and declaring that he is not worried in the slightest about his spot on the 1976 Republican ticket. The three-state Rockefeller trip is designed to raise money for the Republican Party and to make friends, of course, for Rockefeller himself. The vice president was telling newsmen in Dallas today that he's not concerned about the Lou Harris poll released yesterday. 
indicating that he is third choice of Republicans and independents for the 1976 Republican vice presidential nomination. He is trailing, according to pollster Lou Harris, trailing former California Governor Ronald Reagan and even Senator Barry Goldwater. Rockefeller asked when confronted with the news about the poll, what's new? He was to begin his politicking with an appearance before the National Federation of Republican Women's Convention. President Ford off today on a similar jaunt talks to the group tomorrow. Reagan, who is considered a possible Republican presidential challenger to Ford, speaks to the group tonight. In prepared remarks for the convention, the vice president said that the administration wants to solve the unemployment crisis and provide financial security, but he added more government spending could crush free society. From the Mutual Studios in Washington, I'm Fulton Lewis, and that's the top of the news as it looks from here. And there we go, everybody. Kick off the phone with Larry. And John and Larry are going to relax for the rest of the evening. So they'll be with us tomorrow, most likely, with that crew. Next, what we're going to hear uh, is the series Radio Theater. And Larry hoping to find a better sound quality than what we have here. So that's what's going to be next here on Yesterday USA. It is three minutes before 11 here on the West Coast, Saturday night. All right. Jaws Professional 1 Friday Night Ray Bream Sears Radio Theater 79-02 Unloading Can't OK Enter 1 That's the theme from the Sears Radio Theater. Tonight is a story of adventure with Richard Widmark as your host. What's that? Take your seat. What is it? I don't know, but fasten your seatbelts. The ship is quivering. An earthquake. If this ship falls over on its side, we've had it. Hey, rain! The sky was clear as we came through. You can see for yourself. It's still clear above the trees. What kind of weather do they have here? The Sears Radio Theater will begin after this message from your local station. This is Richard Widmark. Do you hear that? It's silence. We're in deep, dark space, and we hear nothing but silence. But there's a spaceship silently coming toward us. We can make out the name on its bow, the Omega. And there's a man looking out a forward port. He's in a vehicle that is moving almost with the speed of light. Yet he's as comfortable as if he were in an easy chair at home, chatting with friends. I thought we were supposed to be the first ones up here. We are, as long. Then what's all this junk mean? He's right, Austin. There's a lot of space junk outside. Let me see, Stuart. Maybe it's from something we launched earlier, Sloan. Maybe, Ruth. No. No, we haven't sent a ship this far into space before. Somebody sure has, Austin. Look at all the junk. Maybe it came from that planet ahead. That planet's dead as it can be, Commander. No atmosphere around it. No nothing. We haven't seen the other side of it yet, Sloan. But it doesn't rotate, Austin. It'll be as dead on the other side as it is on this. Oh, speaking of dead, I'd better water the algae so we can keep breathing. I'll help, Bonnie. Uh, Stuart, try to reach headquarters by radio again. We'll call, Commander. 
Omega calling space agency. Come in, please. Omega calling space agency. Come in. Afraid it's the same story, Commander. It still doesn't work. Stu and I have even been outside, Commander. We've gone over the transmitting system with a fine-tooth comb. The agency isn't getting through to us, Austin. But maybe we're getting through to them. Send in hourly reports anyway, Stuart. Well, call, Commander. A spaceship with a crew of five, including two women. A radio that doesn't work. Space junk that nobody can account for. Oxygen supplied by algae. A dead planet that doesn't revolve and has no air around it. And that's only the beginning of our story. Sears Radio Theater. A new adventure in radio listening. Brought to you five nights a week by Sears Roebuck and Company. Sears, where America shops. Your host, Lorne Green. I'll bring you stories of the Old West and the New. Andy Griffith with a look at the funny side of life. Vincent Price with tales of mystery and suspense. Cicely Tyson with stories about love, hate, and related things. Richard Widmark. I'll bring you stories of pure adventure. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis production of The Sears Radio Theater. Our story, Then There Were None, by Ted Sherdeman. Our star, Keith Andes. The spaceship Omega speeds silently through the stillness of space. Its commander, Austin Baker, peers out a port at the dead, dark planet they're approaching. His attention is taken by Ruth Beatty as she offers him a pill. Time for dinner, Commander. Here you go. <laughs> I keep thinking this is an aspirin tablet. I can't get used to just taking a pill instead of having a meal. Yeah, me either, Sloan. But I must say, pills take up a lot less space aboard this craft. Takes up a lot less space in your stomach, too. I'm with Sloan Overton. I'll never get used to them. Well, they're convenient. Oh, may I have some water, please, Ruth? Oh, sure. Here. Uh, me, too. Thanks. Thank you, Ruth. You're welcome. These meal pills rob you of all the things you associated with eating. Like what? Conversation? I never conversed anyway. Usually read the paper, the ads in a cereal box, or watch TV. Oh, you must have been a scintillating dinner companion. You don't get command of a spaceship like the Omega by being a scintillating dinner companion. Maybe not, Sloan, but the thing that really worries me about these pills is where do I get the bulk? The fiber I'm supposed to have. It's in the pills. This little thing? Not a chance. Hey, Commander. Yes, Stuart. To the left of the planet. Hmm. The entire left side is bathed in light. We'll be at the lighted edge in a moment. Want me to circle around it? Yes. You and Bonnie keep an eye out for launching sites. And Ruth, prepare to make photographs. We'll co-commander. I'll slow the craft down and pass around the lighted edge. 
Same altitude, Commander? I think so, Stuart. I see the source of the light, Commander. So do I, Stuart. It's, it's that star. It looks dead down there, sir. Yeah. So it seems, Sloan. Well, what's that planet nearby? Well, it, uh, it doesn't show on any of our charts, sir. For that matter, neither did this dead one. Well, that near planet must have atmosphere around it, Austin. It appears so, Stuart. And it rotates. That, that star must be its sun. Bonnie and I have seen no launching sites that could even come close to putting out all that space junk. We've seen no launching sites, period. The planet below us is dead. Well, let's have a closer look at that nearby planet. Austin? Yes, Ruth. But through it, you can see land masses and long stretches of what appear to be seas or water of some kind. And both ends of that planet appear to be covered with snow and ice. Like our polar caps, alone. Those are seas, Commander. Yeah, appear to be. It's very blue, isn't it? Hmm. One of the signs of a breathable atmosphere. Oh, by the way, the algae beds are doing beautifully, Commander. <laughs> Since they provide the oxygen we breathe, Bonnie, let's be grateful. Oh, I am. I even made some soup out of some of it. Ah, at my urging, Austin. I can't stand those pills either, Commander. And they're more nourishing than algae soup. And don't taste as bad. How do you know, Sloane? It hasn't finished cooking yet. At least Ruth will get her bulk. No, right now, get to your cameras. I'm on a full record of this planet we're approaching. Wilco, Commander. Wilco. I'll take over the controls now, Stuart. Right, sir. We'd better slow our descent. Uh, give me some forward jets. Wilco, Commander. We're slowing, but not enough. More, Stuart. That's strange. We're at a 100 kilometers now, Commander. I'm trying to hold it that slow. 95, 94, 93. More forward jet power, Stuart. Are we still losing, Sloan? 88, 87. We're caught in that planet's gravity field. 83, 82. 81, 80... I'll try full power, sir. Go ahead, Stuart. What are the readings, Sloan? 75, 74, 73. Kill the jet. Switch to atomic power, Stuart. I'll try to turn the ship. 
How come you landed here, Austin? I didn't have any choice, Ruth. We weren't supposed to land on any planet, just observe. I know. We got caught in this planet's gravity field. That's what the commander meant by saying he had no choice but to land. And uh, thanks to your skill, Commander, we were able to do it. Well, one thing I can say for it, you certainly picked a remote spot. I don't think anyone saw us land. I hope not, Bonnie. Ruth and I saw a city on our way down. We made photos of it. I'll give Stuart a hand, Commander. These trees, they're, they're like our grass, but so much bigger. Do you suppose they give off oxygen? Uh, can I give you a hand, Stuart? Oh, I'm just drawing some of the air into this test flask from the outside. Uh, now, to test it. Uh, write down what I find, Sloan. Fine. Nitrogen, 78.9. Uh-huh. Oxygen, 20.95. Hey, that's good. So far. Argon, 0.93. Carbon dioxide, 0.03. Very good. Water vapor, about uh, 2%. Maybe a little less. Oh, not very humid then, huh? No. There's some dirty stuff mixed up in it. Uh, minute particles of suspended... Uh, yeah. Carbon and sulfur. What we call smog back home. Well, buddy, they've got it here, too. But the air is breathable. Well, Commander Austin Baker will be glad to hear that. Can't think of anybody who won't be. You know, I can't tell whether there's bark on these trees or not. We're up too high in the spaceship to see. Ah, Stuart, what did you find? The air is very breathable, Commander. We won't need helmets or oxygen units to support us if we go outside. No life support systems required. None. Take your seats. What is it? I don't know, but fasten your seatbelts. The ship is quivering. It, it may be an earthquake. If this ship falls over on its side, we've had it. Hey, rain. The sky was clear as we came through. You can see for yourself. It's still clear above the trees. What kind of weather do they have here? It's ended. Stay in your seat, Ruth. You too, Bonnie. All of you. Weird. The ship has stopped shaking. Yeah, I know, Sloan. What do you make of it, Stuart? I don't know. The way that water started coming down, I thought we were in for a big one. I know. The shortest rainstorm I ever experienced. Me too. Well, I guess it's safe enough now to unbuckle the seatbelts and leave the chair. Yeah. <clears throat> you want Sloan and me to look around outside, Commander? Yeah, we'll have to sooner or later. The sooner the better, Austin. Take a life support system with you just in case. It's not necessary, Commander. Arms, yes, but we can do without the life support system. All right. But check the breathability of the atmosphere before you venture too far away. We will, Commander. Come on, Sloan. And keep in touch with us by radio and pick vision. We'll go, Commander. Uh, coming, Stuart. We'd better stop at the armory first. Right. <clears throat> Laser pistols. Three grenades apiece. Well, that should do it. And I'll take an atomic rifle just in case. Okay, Sloan, that does it. The personal radio's working? Well, we'll soon find out. Uh, Sloan to Commander Baker. Do you read me? Read you fine, Sloan. And the thick vision is good. Stuart and I are going out now. Right. Now keep in touch at all times and turn back if you're attacked. We want the inhabitants to know we're friendly. Right. We won't use weapons unless necessary. Use weapons only to protect your own lives. Wilco, Commander. Out. Well, Stuart, let's go. is as breathable as we said it was. Right. Uh, we'll make a circuit of the ship. Then head due north. Right. 
Let's go. Spaceship Omega rests tail down in a forest of green fronds. The air is breathable on this strange planet, however, and Sloan Overton and Stuart McGill are on an exploratory trip. They're armed with laser pistols, grenades, and an atomic rifle as they make their way through the jungle of towering green trees. They are watched and listened to on a thick vision tube in the control room of the spaceship. By Commander Austin Baker and the two women, Ruth Beatty and Bonnie Clare. Well, we, we, we should have brought machetes to hack our way through this stuff. Take more than a machete to cut through these trees. Cane saws would be more like it. Well, there's no bark on these trees. They've no trunks at all. They're green all the way to the ground. Yeah. What's this? Steel wall? Oh, it's, a, it's a metal of some kind. Help me scale it. Can you reach the top? Okay. It's, uh, it's kind of flanged up here and almost a meter in width. And, hey. What do you see, Sloan? Well, it, it ends right down there or, or begins. It, it begins there and there's another wall across from this one. It's identical and... Hey, wait a minute. There are there are divisions here of uh, of wood or something that looks like wood. And th- do you suppose this is a railroad track? I'll go to the end and try to get up there with you. Uh, uh, Commander Baker, uh, do you read me? Loud and clear, Sloan. Is the picture clear, too? Very clear. And the girls and I agree with you. It is a railroad track. Yes, I agree. For extremely large people, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, Stewart's coming into the picture now. Yeah. Oh, I, I see you made it all right. So that end down there, it has no bumpers. But you're right, Sloan. This must be a railroad track. And these are ties. Follow it. Uh, we'll go, Commander. Come on, Stewart. Uh, uh, there are signs of rust. Maybe this was abandoned. Well, why was it ever put down in this jungle of green trees to begin with? I don't know. But it was constructed by a race of giants, that's for sure. Well, let's hope we don't run into any. Oh, man. Can you imagine how large their trains must be if this is just the track? No, and I don't uh, want to. How, uh, how far apart would you say the rails are? Oh, ten meters. About. We should have brought a tape so we could get accurate measures. Do I see the end of this track? Well, you sure do. We see the end of it, too. Uh, what do you make of it, Commander? I don't know. That track begins nowhere and comes to an end nowhere. Doesn't make sense. Whoever put it down must have had a change of mind. Well, at least they didn't skimp on it. It's, uh, it's beautifully built. Even at this end, as well built as the other. I'll help you down, Sloan. Uh, no sweat. A slight jump ought to do it. Okay. Come ahead, Stuart. Sloan, Stuart. I think you'd better come back to the Omega now. Whatever you say, Commander. Uh, Wilco, Commander. If we keep that wall... Oh, I... I keep calling it that. Uh, that, uh, That rail to our right. We'll, uh... We'll wind up at the spaceship. Right. Let's go. 
map of this area what we've seen thus far. Good, Ruth. I don't know what good that'll do. Well, Bonnie, it at least can go in the log to show what we saw right after we landed. Well, it's all I did it for. I... Oh! Oh, there it is again. Fasten yourselves in your seats, girls. Sloan, Stewart, take whatever cover you can. Another quake. It's a clear sky above the trees. Maybe we don't get... I was wrong. We get rain again. That was shorter than the other one. It's real strange. I, I can't explain it. The ship began to sway like crazy. If it goes over on its side, we've had it. I know, Stuart. The ship is steady now. Yes. Take off the seatbelts. Uh-oh, strap them back on. Here we go again. This swaying is making me sick to my stomach. Well, if we fall over, you won't have that to complain about anymore. Well, we've lost the picture. Can you hear me? Stuart, Sloan, come in, please. Come in, please. Our radio's out, Stuart. Probably this downpour. I don't understand it. The sky's clear as a bell above the treetops. There's not a cloud in sight. I'm drenched. There's no shelter around, that's for sure. I don't understand it. What's going on? These earthquakes followed by short torrential rains. Oh, buddy, don't look at me for an explanation. I think we better get back to the spaceship. We turn south at the end of this wall, or track. Uh, Commander Baker, do you read me? The ship can't hear us. That means the pick vision is gone, too. Meaning the commander can't see or hear us. That's right. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's that? Where? I, uh, I thought I saw something moving off, uh, off to the left. I don't see anything, Sloan. I don't either right now. Come on. Let's keep going back to the Omega. I can see the end of the wall ahead, Stuart. The track's found. I see it, too. We turn south. Do, 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 you, do you see what I see? Where? Oh, my God. Stuart, I... I, I don't know what it is. It, it looks like a giant dinosaur of some kind. We'll take cover. I'll use the atomic rifle on it. It's a lizard or a reptile of some sort. It's gigantic, but nothing can survive this atomic rifle. Hit it, Sloan. It's, it's, it's not going down. Another hit, but it's, but it's coming this way. Use your grenades and your laser pistol. The atomic hits have only angered it. Can you see through the smoke? It's still coming toward us, Sloan. Maybe a blaster in this laser pistol. Sloan, run for it. Where are you? Over here, behind this tree. I can't see you. I'm right here, Sloan. Oh, my God! 
I checked the circuits, Commander. I can find nothing wrong. We still have no sound or pick vision, Ruth. How long has it been now? Exactly three and one half minutes, Blonnie. And they should have been back by now. Want me to check the entrance hatch? No, Ruth. Hey, hey, here's our trouble, I think. A huh? fuse blown. Oh, I'll get an extra, Commander. Right away. Wonder what happened. The quakes? Well, maybe. But it's the first time. Here's a new fuse, Commander. Oh, thanks, Bunny. Now to try it. Sloan, Stuart, do you read me? Hey, we're getting a picture again. I hear you, Commander. Am I coming in? We hear you fine now. And we've got a picture, too. Sloan's gone. Gone? Sloan? What happened, Stuart? I... I don't know what it was. A, a dinosaur, a lizard, reptile, whatever. It was gigantic. We hit it with everything we had. The atomic rifle, laser pistols, grenades. All they did was anger the beast. It... It got Sloan? It had this long tongue and it... It, it swallowed him whole. Oh, how horrible. Oh, it makes me sick. We see you clearly, Stuart. Where you are and all. Walk straight ahead and you'll be in the Omega within minutes. I can't see the spaceship from here. Yeah, but we can see you. Keep walking. Yeah, I, I can't stop thinking about Sloan. Keep walking. I am, I am. I, I can't see the spaceship. Well, it's probably hidden by the trees. Come straight ahead. The atomic rifle, the grenades, the laser pistols, they only infuriated the monster. Keep walking, man. He's in a day. The atomic rifle is supposed to destroy anything. He said it was a dinosaur. Or lizard. Or a reptile. Whatever. It must have been gigantic to withstand a hit from an atomic rifle. What's he walking into? Stuart, what is that? Uh, I, I don't know. It's sticky. I, I walked right into it before I ever saw it. Stuart, look out. What is it? It has six legs. Shiny black? Look on its stomach. An hourglass of red. I, I, I can't get loose from this stuff. Use your last grenade and the laser pistol to defend yourself. Oh, it's like a huge, giant spider. Yeah. I, I can't get loose. Stuart, I've got to help him. It's too late, Commander. The spider has stung him. Stuart, Stuart, can you hear me? He's dead. Oh, no, the spider... Oh, I, I can't watch. He's gone. Stuart's gone. Uh, what kind of planet have we landed on? I... I don't know. Giant. All carnivorous giant. First Sloan, now Stuart. There are only three of us left. That's right. You, Ruth, and me. How do we get out of here? That's a good question, Bonnie. I don't know. Gravity forced us to land here, and gravity may keep us here. Oh, these giant creatures, they're impervious to our weapons. Nothing we do has any effect on them. Maybe... Maybe what, Austin? I was just thinking maybe Sloan and Stewart haven't died in vain. Maybe we can learn something from their deaths. Like What? Well, to keep away from these giant creatures, we must not antagonize them in any way with our weapons. What do you plan to do? We can't stay in the spaceship indefinitely, Ruth. It's only a matter of time before one of those creatures discovers the Omega. That's exactly what I was thinking, Bonnie. Well, then what's your idea, Austin? To find or, or dig a cave someplace. We'll live off the land as long as we can, but we can't stay here. Take your seats. Strap down. Oh, yeah. 
just another reason for leaving this ship. If one of these quakes should tip us over, we've had it for sure. Baker of the spaceship Omega doesn't face an easy decision. He and the two women left on the spaceship Omega are doomed. So their only possible choice is to leave the craft and seek survival in a cave that they can either find or dig themselves. I don't know what good our weapons may be against the hideous creatures we may find, but uh, being armed will make us feel better. You know how to use this atomic rifle, Ruth? Yes, Austin. Bonnie? We went through the same training with them as you did, Commander. Yeah, a training that never prepared us for this, unfortunately. Laser pistols, grenades. Uh, if we have to dig a cave, we should have entrenching tools. Yeah, I thought of that too, Ruth. For you, for Bonnie, and for me. What about food? I've got vials filled with meal pills. At least we won't starve, Bonnie. Well, I guess we've got everything. Let's go. That's what I like about you, Austin. He closes the doors if he was coming back. <laughs> Who knows? We may. All set? Ready. Set as possible. Nothing outside. Come on. I'll take the lead. Trees are even taller than they seem. Hold it. I see some of that sticky stuff Stuart got caught in. Where? Right ahead there. Any sign of that spider-like creature that got him? I don't see it. Me neither. Right, follow me closely. I'll try to lead us around the stuff. It seems to be web-like. These trees are so thick. Keep your eyes open for that giant spider. Don't worry. I am. Uh, we're nearly around the sticky stuff now. Oh, is, is that the railroad track ahead there? Yes. Is that the same one we saw in the pit vision? The same. I don't know whether we'll find one, but keep looking for a cave. been walking nearly an hour, and we're still in one piece. Well, that's something, Ruth. Wait. Cross down. Um, what are those things in the distance? I don't know, Bonnie. But they're walking in a line. They're following each other. Well, there must be... I've lost count of them. Well, they're huge. Oh, horrible things. Yeah, they're like... Well, at home, they were tiny insects called ants. See the mandibles and antenna? Oh, these are anything but tiny. Oh, they're so big. Edge back so meant to see us. Oh, we were lucky we weren't attacked. Attacked? Ruth, we'd have been carried back to their nest and fed to their queen. What's this? Wait, it, it, it seems to be rubber of some kind. It goes up so high. Why, it's even higher than the trees. It's... Is that material of some sort above the rubber? I think that's a canvas-like cloth. 
At least it's not alive. And look there. Bonnie, don't go wandering off by yourself. There's, there's round, shiny metal with something through it. Do you know what we found? What? I think it's a shoe, like a sneaker. An abandoned shoe? I think so. Look at the length of it. A sneaker-like shoe from some giant. And that material from the round eyelets. I, I guess those are laces. It's so big. We took photographs of a city on our way down. So Bonnie told me, Ruth. Well, you think this is a shoe from one of the inhabitants? That's my guess. It's a pretty good one. I'll buy it. I, I, I think we'd better find a cave before we get stamped on. Oh, I'm for that. Follow me. Is there no end to this park? What? Oh, I, I didn't say anything, Ruth. Well, at least we haven't been attacked by anything. Like poor Sloan and Stuart were. No, but stay alert, Bonnie. <gasps> oh, uh-oh. But there it goes again. Lie down. Bonnie, lie down before you're knocked off your feet. The earth is shaking. Another quake. There's rain again. Oh. Uh, we're in for a soaking. It's a deluge. Wait, wait, be still a moment. I heard gurgling. There must be an underground river beneath. I can hear the water rushing through. I can feel it. I'm soaked. Well, you're on top of an underground river. I don't hear it anymore. Can we get up? The earth has stopped shaking now. That's strange. The sound has stopped. Uh, what did you say, Ruth? I asked if we could get up now. Oh, yeah, sure. I don't understand it. Oh, I'm soaked through and through. I heard water flowing like a, an underground river. Didn't either of you hear it? Oh, I was trying to keep from drowning. Me too. Well, so was I, but I still heard it. Well, we'll, we'll try to find higher ground. Follow me. dripping from that last downpour. You said we're in a rainforest, Ruth? I don't know. Maybe if I scaled one of those trees to see where we are. Well, how can you, Austin? There are no branches on these trees. I know, Ruth, but... Oh. Huh? Oh, no. They've spotted us. All three of them. What are those things? I don't know, but they're gigantic. Shiny and black. And look oh. at those mandibles. Like monsters. Oh. Use the grenades first. Oh. Take that, you hideous creatures. The grenades had no effect on me. Oh. Oh. Use the... Oh. 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 Neither can I. Oh. Yes. Oh. Frank, where yeah. are you? Um, backyard, water beetles all over the place. Did you get them? Yep. Well, what the heck is that? Oh, piece of track. Here's that dumb kid's tennis shoe. Doggone it. What else did that boy leave outside? No. Here's another one of his toys. Well, his mother's got some answering to do, believe me. 
Laura. All through, Frank? Yeah, I'm through. Would you come here? I want to talk to you. You know, it's just ridiculous. Are you all through fixing the sprinklers? The sprinkler timer, Laura. The timer was screwed up. The sprinklers work fine. Well, the timer, then. You fixed it? I said I did. Now, look there. Where? On the table. Oh, Frank, how many times must I tell you not to put your shoe... Why, it's Junior's sneaker. Mm-hmm. He's been looking all over for it. You know where I found it? Where? In the backyard. Well, he'll be so pleased. Well, I'm not. You're not? Do you have any idea of how much these cost? What with inflation and What all? was it doing in the backyard? I don't know. All right, where's the kid now? Oh, playing, I guess. You guess? You don't know? You never know. I do so. At and this piece of H.O. track from the toy electric train we gave him for Christmas? Now, what was that doing there? How do I know? Well, I'll tell you, I intend to find out. You don't leave a piece of track like this out in the weather where it can get all rusty and eventually go to pieces. Frank, he's only ten years old. Hey, I don't care how old he is. He's got to take better care of his stuff. Didn't you ever misplace things when you were a boy? Now, I was taught that everything had its place, and I saw to it that when I was through playing with the toy, I put it back where it belonged. You must have lost something sometime when you were young. Well, maybe I did, but not one shoe and not a piece of track from an expensive H.O. train set. You have any idea what that set cost? That's over a hundred bucks. It's not easy to raise a ten-year-old. You can teach him to respect his own belongings. I try, Frank. Well, you don't try hard enough. Oh, and this thing. And... Hmm. I'll put it in my pocket someplace. You lose it? <laughs> Very funny, Laura. No, I didn't lose it. Oh, there it is. Here, right in the palm of my hand. Now, where'd he get that? Well, I never saw it before. They don't put out prizes like this in boxes of Cracker Jacks. No company gives away things as beautifully made as this. What is it? Well, it's a tiny spaceship. I never saw one before. Let me look at it. Well, you can even see the name on it. The Omega. Yeah, and it's beat up already. Even the little openings at the bottom look rusted and used. You know, leaving it outside in the weather. Now, what's this thing? A tiny door. Now, look at that. It even opens and closes. Maybe Junior traded with a playmate for it. <laughs> with his imagination, he probably planned a moon launch. Yeah, but the point is, he left it outside in the weather, just like the H.O. track and his one sneaker. Oh, well, uh, ooh, there's a bug in this thing. That's only a little ant. Where are you going? Oh, that reminds me of... Hey, look, a Junior's got to be taught to take better care of his things and stop using the backyard as a junk pile. What you doing? Getting a can of insect spray. I've already killed the ant. Here, I'll take the can. What for? We're besieged by water beetles. Water beetles? I told you I killed them outdoors. They're under the sink and everywhere. And while you're at it, spray for ants, too. Five nights a week by Sears Roebuck and Company. Sears, where America shops. Then There Were None was written by Ted Sherdeman, produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Richard Whitmark. Our star was Keith Andy. Also heard were Peter Leeds, 
Sam Edwards, Janet Waldo, Mary Jane Croft, Monty Marquette, and Jack Crucian. The music for Sears Radio Theater was composed and conducted by Nelson Riddle. Art Gilmore speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Sears Radio Theater is a presentation of CDR. All right, there is Sears Radio Theater from 1979, I believe. We're going to move over to some Janet Waldo old-time radio show style here on Yesterday USA. I'm Wong Hughes, so stand by. Jaws Professional, One Friday Night Fawfilter, One Friday Night Fawfilter, Explore Pain, Alt F4, Space, Alt Tab, Skype, Alt Tab, Jaws Update, Alt Tab, Skype, Skype, Sign and Edit, Windows M, Desk M, My Music M, Microsoft M, My Conference M, My Doc, Enter, Doc, 06-03-20, 06-17, Enter, Z2, Yesterday, 3, Lux Rate, 4, Cavalcade of, 5, Request Performance 8, Screen Directors Playhouse 4, 9, Filco Radio 10, Young Love 4, 11, 4 Star Playhouse 12, Halls of Ivy 11, 10, 9, 8, 5, Request Performance 4, 6 0, 3, Unloading Jock Hands, OK, Enter 0. The makers of Campbell Soup bring you Request Performance. This is the program with the stars you request to the things you request. Tonight your stars are Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Georgie Jessel, Tommy Riggs and Betty Lou, the King Cole Trio, Janet Waldo, Radio's Corliss Archer, and Louise Erickson from Radio's Date with Judy, with Leith Stevens and his orchestra, all in Request Performance. Produced by the Maskers Club of Hollywood. Your letters to Campbell Soup Hollywood name the stars and tell them what to do. Tonight you've asked us to welcome back one of your favorite stars. He's just returned from five years of combat service with the United States Navy. And this is his first broadcast out of uniform, Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. Leave Me Home is a wonderful place to be, and I'm sure there are a few million others who will say roger to that. Our business on hand tonight is to answer your letters to request performance. The first star you've called up tonight is one of the greatest showmen of our time, the singer, actor, comedian, and motion picture producer, Georgie Jessel. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Douglas. That was a lovely introduction. For a minute, I thought I was dead. But I do want to say this. It is great to have you home and back again from the war. Incidentally, this is Tommy Riggs' first broadcast out of the Navy, too. I wonder if Admiral Nimitz knows that most of his Pacific fleet are sailing on tomato soup here tonight. <laughs> you know, this program gets a great many letters. This request program gets tremendous mail. And they read all the thousands of letters that they get very carefully... Lincoln and I were surprised to come across a letter from one of my best friends, Mr. Robert Milford, from Timmis, Wisconsin. Now, I've never met this Mr. Milford in all my life, but here's how I know that he's my best friend. He writes that he's sick and tired of hearing Willie Howard and Georgie Price do imitations of me on the radio singing off-key. 
And I agree with Mr. Milford. They don't sound like me. They sound better, maybe, but not like me. <laughs> so in answer to Mr. Milford's request, I'm going to sing you the song that they always imitate me with. It's an old mother song, but I think songs like that never grow quite corny. My mother's eyes. One bright and guiding light That taught me wrong from right I found in my mother's eyes Those baby tales she told That road all paved with gold I found in my mother's eyes Just like a wandering sparrow One lonely soul I've walked the straight and narrow Just to reach my goal God's gifts sent from above one real unselfish love I found in my mother's eyes. Incidentally, that song happens to be the favorite song of Daryl Evzanik. 20th Century Fox. That's who makes the Technicolor pictures. <clears throat> I got it in, didn't I? Well, anyhow, there's a request here to ask for my favorite song at the moment. Well, that's a song from a picture I produced called The Dolly Sisters. This song, I might add, has been number one on the hit parade. I will now knock it down to 26. I can't begin to tell you. I can't begin to tell you how much you mean me, my world would end if ever we were through. You may have noticed that I didn't quite hit that high note with as much strength as I should. I've had a lot of trouble opening my mouth on account of some teething trouble I have. Honestly, lost a tooth right in the ear. Isn't that a sad thing about life? Just when you get to a position when you can afford to eat a good meal, your teeth start. <laughs> Look here, she's just crying out. The words I choose refuse to leave my heart. So take the sweetest phrases the world has ever known. Ladies and gentlemen, your letters to request performance have proved that with men who know swing music best, it's King Cole two to one. So bend an ear to the tune you f fans ask for most often on records and at Hollywood's famous Trocadero from the King Cole Trio. <laughs> I took a choo 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 fast as I could take a choo choo. 
I come along, long, long, long way to take you in my arms. And now is your first move to prove that you've been true. Come to baby, do. I've been away, way, 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 way beyond the blue horizon. I hope that no, 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 no one else is on your mind. So pucker up, my sweet, and meet your Waterloo. Come to baby zoo. Stop me from guessing. Ain't no time to tease. Stop all your messing. And put your begging baby at ease. I want to love, love, love you just the way I want to love you. I'm gonna try, try, try to, try to make you understand. When all is said and done, the one for me is you. Come to baby do. I come a long, long way to kiss you. You'll never know how much I missed you. Stop your teasing. Come to baby do. are going to pipe aboard another ex-Navy man. Ladies and gentlemen, we want you to meet the only sailor who took his girl with him in his duffel bag. Tommy Riggs and his imaginary niece, Betty Lou. Ah, Betty Lou, it sure is for all to be back home again. It sure is nice to have you back, too. Well, goodbye, Uncle Tommy. Goodbye, Betty Lou. I just got home. Where are you going? To see our new boarder, Jack Douglas. Hello, Mr. Jack. Well, well, Betty Lou, pull up your Uncle Tommy and sit down. Well, thank you, Mr. Jack. I just wanted to see if you were all right. I suppose you're busy writing. Well, I certainly am, Betty Lou. I've just written a play. It's a wonderful play. Is it very dramatic? Yes, it's called Bulldog Drummond's Other Wife or Forever Amber Strikes Back. <laughs> That's a very interesting title. Is it a very exciting play? Well, I'll say it's exciting. On page one, the hero gets married, but he kills his first wife. Then he gets married again, and he kills his second wife. Then he gets married again, and he kills his third wife. With a knife. <laughs> Any questions? Oh, you're just fibbing, Mr. Jack. Didn't your mother ever tell you it was wrong to tell a fib? Didn't she? <laughs> What's wrong? Didn't you have a mother? No. We were very poor. <laughs> poor, that is. <laughs> oh, gee, I didn't know. Were you really poor? I mean, were you much poorer than your neighbors? Oh, yes. Everybody else had a whole loaf of bread. We just had a half a loaf. Everybody else had an acre of ground. We just had a half an acre. It was pretty tough plowing. For why? You only had a half a mule. Well, which half? Well, I ain't saying, but he didn't smile much. 
old Mr. Jack pulling my leg. Well, I must be going. Well, goodbye, Betty Lou. Don't take any wooden tonsils. Well, goodbye, Mr. Jack, and don't take any wooden blondes. Blondes, that is. Oh, there you are, Betty Lou. Gee, it's a beautiful day. I hope nothing spoils it. For instance, I hope your boyfriend Wilbur doesn't come over. Oh, gee, there he is now, standing outside. Can I ask him in? Absolutely not. Oh, please, Uncle Tommy. Wilbur's different now. So gentlemanly and suave and scholarly. Please. Oh, all right. Oh, gee, there you are, Wilbur. Oh, boy, my very own Wilbur. Hello. Uh, hello, Wilbur. You remember me? I'm Betty Lou's Uncle Tommy. Well, don't you remember me? Well, say something. Why ain't you in uniform? <laughs> oh, brother, listen, Wilbur. I've been in the Navy for two years. I just got out of uniform. Doesn't that answer your question? Uh-huh. Anything else you want to know? Yeah, why ain't you in uniform? <laughs> oh, I give up. He's all yours, Betty Lou. Wilbur. Huh? Do you have a present for me today? Why, sure. Don't I always have a present for you? This time it's a swell present. It's something for a girl. Well, that works out nicely, doesn't it? I'm a girl. I know. <laughs> well, where's my present? It's right here. Why, Robert, that's your pet turtle. Uh-huh. I know. Well, I couldn't take your pet turtle. You told me you wouldn't part with that turtle for anything in the world. I know. But I want you to have it now. Why? It died this morning. Now a word about ways and means of combating those well-known March winds. You know, blustery March days just naturally call for big bowls of good hot soup. And Campbell's vegetable soup is one to have often, for it brims with hearty eating, and then it tastes so downright delicious. Walk into the kitchen around supper time and sniff the wonderful fragrance in the air. Lift the lid from that kettle on the stove and look at all the bright vegetables and the bubbling beef stock. Why, you don't even want to wait till your bowl is ladled out and on the table. You want your spoon right then and there. But you finally sit down to a steaming bowl full and say that vegetable soup tastes even better than it looked. Deep down flavor all through every spoonful of the broth. Mmm, good. And vegetables as tender as can be. Yes, sir, for March lunches and suppers, there's nothing tastes quite like Campbell's vegetable soup. How about it for supper tomorrow? Campbell's soup on your shelf is like a part-time cook in your kitchen. <laughs> A regular feature here at Request Performance is the weekly short, short scenario. So for Mary Weir of Westchester, Pennsylvania, we present Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. with one of radio's best young actresses, Janet Waldo, in Nathaniel Hawthorne's great thriller, Rappuccini's Daughter. My name is Giovanni Guasconti. Yes? I'm enrolling as a student at the College of Medicine here in Padua. And I need lodging. I have only one room. It's under the eaves and rather dark. Would you show it to me? Come this way. Is there a view? 
Yes, senor. There's a view. It is dark. Uh, may I open the shutter? As you wish. What's this? It's the garden of our neighbor, Dr. Rappuccini. <laughs> I told you there was a view. <laughs> strangest garden I'd ever seen. A jungle of weird and exotic plants with blossoms that were purple and black and blood red. As a medical student, I was familiar with botany. Yet there was not one plant in all that garden that I had ever seen before. Then I saw an old man working near the high wall. I noticed as he moved about, he carefully kept his distance from each plant. On his hands, he wore thick gloves. And on his face, a mask such as a surgeon might wear. Beatrice. Beatrice. Yes, Father? Then she walked into the garden. A girl so lovely that I held my breath in wonder. Beatrice. This plant, it needs your care. Yes, Father. Then with her bare hands, she touched the plant which her father had avoided. And she held the blossom to her cheek. I made up my mind to learn more about the garden outside my window and its strange inhabitants. I asked one of my professors at the university what he knew about this Dr. Rappuccini. Rappuccini? A very dangerous man. Have no dealing with him. But why? A great scientist, this Rappuccini, but ruthless. Well, what is the nature of his knowledge, Professor? Dr. Rappuccini is the world's foremost authority on poison. For a long time that afternoon, I sat at my window, looking down into Rappuccini's garden, studying the curious plants. For the second time, I saw Rappuccini's daughter. Her beauty was so brilliant, so vivid, that she glowed in the sunlight. She raised her head... Our eyes met. She smiled. Forgive me, signorina Beatrice, but your beauty draws me to this window. Oh? You must know all things are drawn to you, see? <laughs> Even the butterfly which hovers above your head. You are too gracious, signor. <laughs> the brightly colored wings fluttered into the path of her laughter. And even as I watched, they quivered. And the butterfly fell dead at her feet. I have a secret to tell, Signor Guasconti. What is it? There is a private entrance to the garden. To what garden? Oh, you cannot fool an old lady. I know for how many weeks you've been talking with Rappuccini's daughter from your window. There are many young men in Padua who would give gold to get a closer view of Dr. Rappuccini's flowers. Here's a gold piece. Show me the way. At last I stood on the spot I had gazed on for so long and breathed into my lungs the pungent perfume of the weird flowers. Giovanni! Beatrice, I couldn't stay away any longer. I am happy that you came. You are more beautiful than I imagined. Let me take your hand. No! 
Tony, do not touch me. You must never touch me. What's Conti? What's happening to you? Nothing, Professor. I... You're listless. A failure in your studies. I can give no explanation. I can. How long has it been since you've seen Rappaccini's daughter? Today. I saw her today. And yesterday? Yes, and the day before, and the day before that. When did this begin? Oh, weeks ago, months. How many measured time? I warned you. What business is it of yours if I visit Rappaccini's daughter? I am your friend. Rappaccini has fed his daughter poisons from the day of her birth. Poison has become so much a part of her, merely her nearness could be fatal. Ridiculous. Impossible. Is it? Have you ever touched her? You see, I beg you, my son, stay away from that evil place. I can't. I'm in love with her. I'm in love with Rappaccini's daughter. And there's only one thing I can do for you. Take this vial. What's in it? A powerful antidote. One sip of it can make the most dangerous poison harmless. Give it to your loved one, Giovanni. It is the only thing I know that might save her. Giovanni, you've been gone so long. Listen to me, Beatrice. We're going to leave this place. Giovanni, there is no way I can ever leave this garden. You can here is a medicine which will counteract the poisons you've lived with for so long. Take it, Beatrice, and we'll be free to love as the rest of the world loves. I will do anything you say, Giovanni, so that we may love each other. Give me the vial. <coughs> In a few moments, you'll be free. And then? And then we'll dance and sing and laugh and sail the seas and climb the mountains. Oh, Giovanni. But most important is now, this instant. For the first time, I can kiss your eyelids. And your cheeks. And your lips. Giovanni, I am happier than I ever dreamed I could be. Beatrice, what is it? I I feel faint. I, I... Be strong, my beloved. The potion is an antidote. It will kill the poisons in you. I am poison. The potion... Is killing me. Oh, my darling. Goodbye. I'm a murderer. I've destroyed you. No, Giovanni. You have kissed me. And I have lived a lifetime. Oh, my Beatrice. <laughs> Request performance answers letters from Vera Derrickson of Chicago and Emma Turner of Columbus, Ohio, who want to hear the most famous number the King Cole Trio ever recorded. Bounce it, gentlemen.
was only a paper moon hanging over cardboard sea. But it wouldn't be make believe if you believe in me. It is only a canvas sky sailing over muslin sea. But it wouldn't be make believe if you believe in me. Without your love, it's a hockey tonk parade. Without your love, it's a melody played on a penny arcade. It's a bomb and Bailey world, just as phony as it can be. But it wouldn't be make believe if you believe in me. help for all you busy wives and mothers. Next time you're wondering what to have for lunch or for supper, just remember that good home cooks everywhere say, Campbell's vegetable soup is almost a meal in itself. For Campbell's make their vegetable soup as carefully as you would your own home kettleful. The golden brown beef stock tastes like you might have carefully simmered it for hours on your own stove. And the vegetables are as bright and tender as any ever picked in a home garden. And instead of just a few vegetables, Campbell's use 15 different kinds. Luscious tomatoes, green peas, and lima beans. Crisp parrots, sweet golden corn, and all your other favorites. Mmm, good. Youngsters love Campbell's vegetable soup when they hustle in at lunchtime, and Dad says it starts supper off just right. Want to be sure to ask your grocer tomorrow for a couple of cans of Campbell's vegetable soup? Campbell's soup on your shelf is like a part-time cook in your kitchen. Hello, this is Betty Lou again. Request performance has had stacks of letters asking for radio's most famous bobby soxers. Judy from a date with Judy and Cordis from Cordis Archer. <laughs> Jeepers, Carlos, isn't it wonderful being on request performance? Oh, ecstasy. Golly, yes, Judy. This is my favorite program. Next to Frank Sinatra. Oh, gosh, is it Sabrina? Oh, yeah, classic. We got good stuff. Oh, 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 oh,
My goodness, when I get to be a Bobby Soxer, do I have to yuckada yuckada like that? Why, Matt? Betty Lou, where is he? Yeah, we gotta see him. Who? Why, our super dream man. The man who makes every girl's stomach limp as a banana peel. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna get him just a sec. That's short for a second. Oh, Carlos, we're actually gonna meet him. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. <laughs> How's my sweater? Is it straight? <laughs> no, but isn't that the way you like it? <laughs> oh, Jeepers, I think he's coming. Oh, golly, I'm going to close my eyes and just concentrate on his mustache. Well, hello, girl. Did you want to talk to me? <laughs> Five years in the Navy. <laughs> it does things to a man. Uh, we've um, admired your work, Mr. Fairbanks. Mr. Fairbanks? Sister, have you got the wrong number? Well, as I remember you, Mr. Fairbanks, you used to have more hair on your upper lip. As I remember myself... I used to have more teeth behind my upper lip. Oh, Judy, look over there. What a beautiful man. It's a dream. A mustache and everything. Oh, I could just die over him. That's what I could do. I could just die. Mr. Fairbanks, tell us, who is he? Well, if, if I'm Fairbanks, he must be George Jessel. Soup bring you two big shows, the Jack Carson Show on Wednesday and on Sunday, Request Performance. Request Performance is produced by the Masters Club of Hollywood and is directed by William N. Robeson. Next Sunday in Campbell Soup's Request Performance, you'll be lost in a desert island with Dorothy L'Amour. You'll hear Academy Award winner Barry Fitzgerald, radio's bright new comic Alan Young, and songs by Jean Sablon. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. is currently shooting the Oscar of Second Hello Picture, Cindy Abbott-Taylor. Georgie Jackson is producer of the 20th Century Fox Musical. Request Performance returns next week at its regular time. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. All right, 7 after midnight here on the West Coast, Sunday. Well, by and large, you know, Waddle program to play, so stand by. Jaws Professional Skype. Alt tab. Jaws up to Alt tab. Sound for Alt tab. Jaws Professional. Windows M. Skype. Sign and heading level. Windows M. Desktop M. My music to M. Microsoft M. My conference M. My doc. Enter. Doc. 06 03 20 06 17 Enter. 2 3 4 5 8. Screen direct 5.
Request perf eight. Screen directors unloading can okay enter zero. The NBC Theater presents Screen Directors Guild Assignment Production The Exile Director Max Opals Star Douglas Fairbanks Jr. This is the Screen Directors Guild presentation of The Adventurous Legend, The Exile, starring Douglas Fairbanks and introducing the director of the film, Max Opals. The statement that art acknowledges no national boundaries is particularly true of the motion picture medium. Thus it is with a great deal of pleasure that the NBC Theater welcomes tonight a director who received his film education in Germany and France. In him is exemplified the rare combination of talents which are the starting point of the screen director's art. Among his American motion pictures are Letter from an Unknown Woman, the soon-to-be-released production Caught, and of course tonight's story, The Exile. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Max Opals. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very pleased and flattered that tonight the Screen Directors Guild presents The Exile with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. in the screen role of Charles II and Jeanette Waldo as Kay. For many years, I have had an idea about how history should be presented in the traumatic form, and the exile is that idea come to life. For me, over centuries, parts of history take on the flavor of an old ballad, singing the deeds of brave men who lived in a kind of fairyland. But if such a quality is to be placed upon the screen, it requires a special sort of actor. He must possess a certain flair, a certain uh, something I can call only Fairbanksism. Fairbanksism is a very vital substance in movie making, a kind of glorious energy which escapes from most of us when we lose the dreams of childhood. Well, fortunately for this idea, Douglas Fairbanks came to me one day and he said, Max, I want you to direct a picture for me. Listen, I'll tell you the story. The story begins on a stormy night in the year of our Lord, 1660. It's night, a storm with thunder and lightning, a slashing downpour of rain, and a horseman. A horseman fleeing across Holland in the middle of the 17th century. The fate not only of a nation is riding tonight, but of a way of life. A horseman riding the whole fugitive night. And the name of that horseman, Charles II, exiled King of England. In the bright morning, the exiled king is at his ease, pretending to sleep on the bank of a Dutch canal. Pretending to sleep because an enemy, a mounted man in a black cloak and a round hat, with ascetic, suspicious eyes, is riding slowly toward him. Stops without dismounting. 
Jo. Hessen. Hm? Äh? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Greetings in God's grace. Greetings. Greetings. And have you seen aught of a man about two yards high with black hair and impudent manner? Excuse me, but I, I am a stranger here, far from home, and enjoying the hospitality of these Netherlands. English? Indeed. Far from home? For what reason? Uh, <laughs> my health. God heal you, sir. And have you seen aught of the fugitive English King Charles Stuart, banished from England and hiding here? What? That scoundrel among men? That lazy, self-indulgent, wastrel of... <laughs> Imagine England in the hands of a man like that, eh? <laughs> not if Cromwell's men discover him. You have not seen him? Is he about? We found his horse wandering, exhausted in the wood. Knave, tyrant, tormentor of dumb beasts. Tur I'll speed you on your search, sir. And may you and Charles II come face to face, one day not far off. We shall. Farewell. Farewell, health and a long life, countrymen. My thanks, countrymen. My thanks. Ah, I must be on the move. But where? Where? You. You there on the bank. Hmm? Oh. Ahoy, canal boat. Can you help me? I can't keep this barge in midstream. Well, keep it headed straight. I'll, I'll jump aboard from the bridge. Well, hurry. Plenty of time now, lass. Plenty of time. Now, steady as you go. Steady. I'm trying. All right. Now. Ah. Oh. So, uh, quick, hand me the pole. Here. Good. Hold it against your shoulder. I see. And push. I have it now. Oh, oh that's so much better. Jan would have been furious if I had grounded his barge. Jan? Who's Jan? He owns the boat. He lets me use it if I haul his cargo. Is he your master? My cousin. Healthy? Very. Muscular? A huge man. And he lets you do his heavy work, does he? He owns the farm next to mine, and he owns the debts on my farm and my inn. Three thousand guilders I owe Jan. You have a farm and an inn, eh? Ever since my father died. Tell me, this, this farm and inn of yours, is it, is it close? Not yet. I must anchor another night. Good. Why? I, uh, I find leisurely travel sometimes very soothing. And, uh, you need help with this barge in swollen waters, don't you? Uh, yes. Good, good. Well, I come from a seafaring nation. Consider me your crew. How sweet the moonlight sleeps upon that bank. Here will we sit and let the sounds of music creep in our ears. How pretty. What is it? William Shakespeare, a poet who had his day, oh, 50 years ago. Soon forgotten, but while he sang, he sang right beautifully. Oh. Charles. Hmm? I was just trying the name. Try it again. Charles. Again. <laughs> was not your English king named Scottish, Charles? Scottish, Scottish king oh. Charles Stuart and a Scot They say he was a most scandalous man mm, A little rakish at times, but not too bad They say it is dangerous for an Englishman to side with the exiled king in these times Well, it's a little inconvenient at times, yes but, uh, <laughs> that, that, that is why I wonder, Mistress Katie If I could hide with you for a while How? Why, I could work on your farm and at the inn. I, I, I should ask nothing in return but shelter and board. Now, tell me, how, how would you say 
Could you use an extra man in Dutch? Kun du an extra man gebruiken? Kun you an extra man gebruiken? Well, well, could you? Yes. Good. <laughs> Good. How sweet the moonlight sleeps upon that bank. It is very lovely. You are lovely. Are you sure he will be soon forgotten, this... this film Shakespeare? If he says such true and lovely things? For weeks, the exiled king works at Katie's farm and inn, willingly, even gladly, performing the most menial labor. Only his cavalier friends in The Hague have been told of his new hideout. And now, one day again, history rides the Dutch lowlands. Your Majesty! Your Majesty! Hyde, old friend! I have news from England. Come, come, come. Hyde, you, you, you might have been followed here. Aye, but the news warrants great risks. Oh? Your Majesty, General Monk has declared for us. General Monk? On our side? Even now, his army marches against the Roundheads. England is split oh, into more oh. factions than ever. <laughs> and General Monk thinks the country would rally to your side if you returned now. Returned? Now? At once, Your Majesty. I'm sorry, Hyde. No. But with Monk on our side now, how can we fail? I said no, Hyde. These no. men are hungry. They yearn for home and family. I know. Ten long years in exile. I know majesty. that too. Bitterly enough. Is this a time to show hesitation and fear and doubt? Fear? Who speaks of fear? Great heaven, man, for two years after Cromwell killed the king, my father, I fought and met defeat, wasting the blood of men who trusted in me. And all because our hopes were false. False! I was told the three kingdoms would rise behind me to a man until I faced the enemy. I was left alone with a handful of men. Brave men, but beaten beforehand and doomed in advance by false, false hopes. False hopes, false starts, false promises. And always the blood of free men uselessly forfeit. Now, I'll go home, Hyde, when I am freely called by all my countrymen. And not before. The men are ready now. They call you leader, king. King. What good's a king who's only king to some? So be it, sire. There is other news, uh, not quite so favorable. Colonel Ingram is in Holland. Ingram? Here? That is evil news. If there is one man in Christendom I fear above another, that man is the executioner Ingram. Oh, uh... Describe the man to me so I'll know him if we meet. Think of the face and habit of death, and that is Ingram. His skin is parched and yellow like a dead man's. His lips are a straight white gash across his face. And his eyes burn with a light like grave worms in their bony sockets. A consecrated A man. fanatic, fearing nothing. Naturally, what is death himself to fear? Charles, if you will not return to England, then flee. Flee Ingram? <laughs> I think not, Hyde. No, otherwise the cause is lost, Your Majesty. Flee where? Holland is overrun with Cromwell's spies and swordsmen. Besides... Charles! Charles, where are you? Besides, I... I like it here. In spite of Ingram.
are listening to the Screen Directors Guild production of The Exile, starring Douglas Fairbanks, and introducing the director of the film, Max Opals. Two weeks more, two more weeks of idyllic pastoral life on Katie's farm. Then one afternoon, Charles is fishing in the canal, for if a cat may look at a king, then <laughs> a king may look for a catfish. Unheard by him, a figure dressed in tarnished regal clothing moves up behind him, leading a moth-eaten horse. Are you a Hollander? Huh? A Dutchman? Huh? Oh, 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 good day, sir, good day, good day. I'm told there is an inn hereabouts. An excellent inn, my lord, I know, for I work there. Ah, but you're English. True. What, uh, uh, what is your uh, capacity at the inn? I have been promoted to overseer. Excellent. A fellow exile and an overseer. Mm. Uh, tell me, um, what uh, costs bed and board uh, to a fellow uh, countryman, you know? Uh, two guilders a night. Uh, two uh, guilders? Mm. Suppose I tell you in all confidence... And that when I have spent the night at your inn, you may charge the next guest 20 guilders without protest, for you may tell him honestly, a king slept in this inn. Eh? King? Which king? Look at me. And though these English garments be the worst for hardship, and though my liniments be weathered and war-beaten, say, if you can, that you do not recognize your king, Englishman. Not... Charles Stewart. On the wandering exiled Stewart. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, sire. Arise and lead me to your inn. You and your employer shall be rewarded handsomely uh, someday. <laughs> oh, come in, Charles. Did you finally get his majesty, our guest, to sleep? Uh, finally, yes. He is very indiscreet for a fugitive, Charles. Very indiscreet. Letting all those strangers in the tap room know who he is, but swearing us to secrecy. I tell you, he'll bring Cromwell's roundheads down on us looking for him. Charles, he worries me. He told me he wants you with him when he invades England again. Oh? <laughs> and when, when may this be? He said, soon. Uh-huh. It's all so stupid and wasteful. There are far better things to do than quarrel over politics and kingdoms and all that rubbish. Ah, we disagree there, Katie. England is a nation of some seven million people who, who, who depend on their leaders. We, we owe them some sort of debt of... Debt of... nonsense. You men will always find some excuse to start fighting and to be very proper about it. Debt indeed. Now, I have a debt, a real one that you can count and that means something to plain people. Three thousand guilders. I know. I... I... I gave you a job and shelter when you wanted it, and and now you plan to leave me for that... that... that dear head. If my king calls me, Katie, I... You will desert me. I will follow my call. Then... Then I will not need your services any longer, Charles. I'm dismissed? Yes. Now? I... I will not spend my time and my money teaching you farming and, and, and management of an inn and see it all go to waste over politics. It is best you leave before... before... Before what? Before I... 
I come to depend on you too much? I understand. I'll leave in the morning. Good night, Mistress Katie. this in? Yes. English? Yes. I've seen you before, somewhere. It may be. Tell me plainly, of which party are you? Party? The parliamentary party. You mean the roundheads? Do you call them so? Candidly, sir, if I ever see my home again, I shall belong to no party. I have recently renounced politics. Then perhaps I can trust a man without any convictions. I suppose that depends on the trust. I am looking for a man whose face I have not seen in many years. Rumor places him hereabout. His name is Charles Stuart. You refer to the king? We call him Charles Stuart. What? Who down there takes the name of his sovereign, Charles II of England? The fool. Pompous idiot. And what is this? A despised round head in my royal presence. Bear your head. Bear your head, I say. I remove my hat only in the presence of God and in the presence of death. Ah, uh, sire, this, this gentleman here is looking for an uncrowned king. Uh, uh, the, the, the gentleman's name is Ingram. Uh, the executioner? Your servant, sire. I'll... Uh, Retire to my room. Wait. I'm tired. You shall sleep soundly. Oh, no, no, no. Draw your sword. No, no, no. Please, I, I, I'm not really the king. I, I'm not the king. I, I'm an actor. Uh, Dick Pinner. Pinner, Pinner. Pinner's my name. Draw your sword. But I'm just an actor. A poor, out-of-work actor. Believe me, please, believe me. Enough, Ingram. The jest is over. What jest? Oh, can't you tell a knave from a king? Look at me, Ingram. Look at me. Spare this craven fool clowning for his keep and look at me. Surely you know a steward when you see one. Look at me. To be sure. Stuart. To be sure. Pinner, slide me your sword quick. Thanks. Now, see how it is to deal with an armed steward for a change. Charles Stuart, I charge you to surrender. You are trapped, Stuart. My men surround the inn. In my service at this inn, I learned a famous recipe for rabbit pie. It goes like this. First, catch the rabbit. And keep a firm grip on your sword. Remember it, Ingram. Long live the king. Robbins, fellow, all of you. Colonel Ingram, after him, men, dead or alive. Who are you? What is the meaning of this? You are the mistress of this inn. What if I am? Where is he? Who? 
the Englishman who works here. If you mean Charles, my retainer... Where is he? What right have you to invade a Dutch house and hound a hard-working man to death because he is loyal to his king? Don't play the fool with me. He is the king. Charles? The king? It's plain you're innocent in that matter. But mind you, don't shield the man if you would remain innocent in the matter. What now, Colonel Ingram? It's plain from her manner that Stuart's more than handyman to her. Watch her. She'll lead us to him. Katie, you shouldn't have come here. They'll not admit to search around this windmill. Charles, that... That man with the face like a skull. He told me who you are. Then, then let me tell you in a few moments what I wanted to spend my life telling you. I love you, Katie. Above all things, deeply and, and gratefully. Gratefully? Why? Because in your love, I've found a few precious moments of shelter. I've learned from you another life than fear and flight and battlefields and parliaments. If I should die, remember that I loved you. Not as King Charles, doubtful monarch of a restless realm, but as Charles, master of his own soul. Charles, look, they're coming. I knew it. Quick, inside the mill. Here. Against this wall, hide behind these sacks. Single-handed. He's coming in alone. God be with you, Charles. Charles Stewart. Stewart, how will you die? I give you this chance to face me alone, for I would relish killing you with my own blade. Stewart! I am here. Defend yourself, killer. Rejoice, O England. Thy deliverance is at hand. Oh, well spoken, sir. You write your own epitaph. Well, we'll finish this alone. You and I. You'll die for that vanity. I'll live for my beliefs. And I for mine. Back, Inquisitor. What? You give ground to a steward? <laughs> back, I say, back. Rusty. Ah. Rust, Ingram, is the color of old blood. Your crimes are upon you, killer. Back. Up the stairs. Blasphemer. Back. Back, I say, up! Ungodly stewards! Why? Because I think God made men free. Die! <laughs> Another time, Ingram. Not just now. Die! You must die if England is to live. Rot. England will live no matter what happens to either of us. On guard! Killer! Listen, outside. There's trouble. And surely roundheads do not make trouble for other roundheads. Your Majesty, Your Majesty. Hide. Please. How? What? Please. Are you all right? Yes, I, I am all right. Oh, thank God you're safe. I bring great news, great news. Oh? 
a new free parliament has, on behalf of all the people and all beliefs, asked you to return to England as their king. terms. Religious freedom for all and, and all the rest. Everything. Oh. Will you, will you leave me alone with Katie for a moment? Your Majesty. Katie. I, I know, Charles. What shall I do? What your heart tells you, Your Majesty. Charles, no. Your Majesty, you are my Charles, but you're their king. And they are so many, and I am one. But if that one is all... Your people are hurt. There are many wounds for you to tend. But what will happen to you? Oh, I, I will have many things to do. I, I'm going to plant more tulips in the west field bordering the road, and... And my inn will be famous now. And I shall pay my debts. Katie. And my memories will be my greatest fortune. And mine. And all these memories I'll put like rose leaves in a box. And I shall love you always, beyond measure, beyond proof, beyond battle and the folly of nations, beyond life, where we shall meet again. Charles. England is at the door. Coming. Goodbye, Katie. One kiss. To last forever. Coming. Coming. Gentlemen, the king. And I shall love you always, beyond measure, beyond proof, beyond battle and the folly of nations, beyond life where we shall meet again. The NBC Theater has presented the Screen Directors Guild production of The Exile, starring Douglas Fairbanks, with Janet Waldo, and introducing the director of the film, Max Opals. Next week, the NBC Theater brings you the world-famous screen director, Alfred Hitchcock, introducing the delightful comedy, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, with Robert Montgomery in the starring role. And now, here again are tonight's stars, Douglas Fairbanks and Janet Waldo, and screen director, Max Opals. Doug, this has been the way you told me the story? Yes, yes, and you said you'd direct the picture. It must have been quite an experience for two such talented artists as yourselves to work together. Yes, there's one of Mr. Fairbanks' accomplishments I shall never forget. His acting? Sure, and uh, his practical jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Max, how can you say such a thing? 
Well, one day I had a birthday and they bring me such a beautiful cake on the set. But when I try to cut it, a disaster. Why? It was made out of wood. <laughs> Very embarrassing. <laughs> but when Doc brought out a real cake, then we had a nice party. Well, you see, we really loved you after all, Max. So nice. And, uh, but for your practical jokes, I forgave you when I saw your la latest picture, The Fighting Old Flynn. Did you like it, Max? I'm very glad. It's to be released next month, you know. Yeah, I liked it very much, Miss Waldo. It's about a dashing, romantic Irishman who does the most amazing things you have ever seen, just to win the lady he loves. It sounds wonderful. Mr. Fairbanks, I understand that besides starring in The Fighting of Flynn, you also wrote it and produced it. Well, yes, that's right. But I, I hope you enjoy it too, Janet. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. And good night to you, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Janet Waldo, and Max Opel. Tonight's cast included Raymond Burr, Carl Harbord, Paul McVeigh, Joe Grandy, and Luke Krugman. The Exile was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger, and original music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. Production was under the supervision of Howard Wiley, your announcer, Frank Barton. The Exile was presented through the courtesy of the Fairbanks Company and of Universal International Pictures, now releasing Crisscross, starring Burt Lancaster, Yvonne DiCarlo, and Dan Duryea. Listen again next week when the NBC Theater presents... Screen Directors Guild Assignment... Production, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Director, Alfred Hitchcock. Star, Robert Montgomery. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. All right, hope you enjoy our program, looking back upon the life and career of Janet Waldo. We're going to take it back to the art making system. So I'll talk to you tomorrow with John and Larry, and we feature that group. Good night, everybody, here on Yesterday USA. Joy, 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 joy. You work and work for years and years, you're always on the go. You never take a minute off, too busy making dough. Someday you say you'll have your fun when you're a millionaire. Imagine all the fun you'll have in your old rocking chair. Enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Enjoy yourself, while you're still in the pink. The years go by, as quickly as a wink. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. You worry when the weather's cold, you worry when it's hot. You worry when you're doing well, you worry when you're not. It's worry, worry all the time, you don't know how to laugh. They'll think of something funny when they write your epitaph. Enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Enjoy yourself, while you're still in the pink. The years go by, as quickly as a wink. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Never go to nightclubs and you just don't care to dance. You don't have time, silly things like moonlight and romance. You only think of dollar bills tied neatly in a stack. But when you kiss a dollar bill, it doesn't kiss you back. 
Jaws Professional 06-17-ALT-F4 Alt-Tab Skype Skype Sign in Alt-Tab Jaws Updates Available Dialogue Alt-Tab Skype Skype Sign in Alt-Tab Jaws Alt-Tab SoundForge Pro 11.0 Escape Enter 0 Enter 0.022 Second Menu Bar A Leaving Menus Data Window Sound 1 Star Save as dialog, file name colon, sound one, edit a set the value use S A T U R D A Y N I G A T six dash one eight dash one six R E R U N N I N G P A T R I C I A I N T E R V I E W I T eight J A N E T W A L D O Save as type W, wave left, save but enter, data window, type in text, 0.022 seconds. JAWS Professional, Bill Bragg, edit, alt tab, Skype trademark left, alt tab, SoundForge Pro 11. 